I don't feel like there's a lot going on. You feel like there's a lot going on? So you know what's funny? Um, before you texted me yesterday to, to, to get on this this shit show, uh, I was thinking, where is the talk show episode for this week? Turns out I'm it. Exactly. So, bit of a letdown for me. But... Yeah, but that must be nice, though. <laughs> that you're sitting there thinking, where the hell is the new show? And then you find out you're on the show. Yeah, exactly. I do like it. But yeah, but I, like like I said, I was like, I, I didn't think we had anything to talk about. And then I went and thought about it, and a, a lot has happened. So a lot has happened. That's good. That means you have an agenda. Yeah, I got like a little list here. All right. Um, I have a few things. I don't have a lot. I, you know, it's a like classic slow sort of news period. But I mean, we've got the like the new phones came out. iOS 7 came out. Mavericks went GM. Uh, second anniversary of Steve's passing. Yeah. Apple bought Q, a Google Now thing. Microsoft had some crazy shit going down. Panic got into video games. There's like, like when I actually thought about what happened this week, there's been a lot that's happened. Yeah, there's a lot. That's that does sound like a lot, but there's not a lot to talk about with a lot of that. You know, like with the panic yeah. and video games thing. Sounds cool. It really does. It's like they're they're sort of investing in. Uh, in a little video game startup with some really cool names attached. But, uh, but you know, but the, uh, you know, what's the cool part of that is going to be when actual games come out of it, right. not, not just the announcement in advance. Right. It is what it is. It got covered on Polygon pretty well. They had a good interview with the cable and the guys there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just cool. Just exciting. Just something new. Um, I don't know. What were you upset about this week? I wasn't upset about anything. I maybe that yeah. might be the problem. The problem might be that yeah. nothing made me angry this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything's pretty straightforward. I think the 64-bit thing Somebody I th- called it a like a marketing gimmick, right? Yeah, I think that's still interesting. I feel like there's like this there's there's still a contingent of of and it, and it's funny because I feel like the people who are who are the most skeptical about it are somewhat technically informed. But that there's hmm. like a subset of technically informed nerds who also like like the like the Venn diagram is don't like Apple or don't trust Apple or don't think Apple stuff is uh, is is technically you know cutting edge, mm-hmm. and that at the intersection of them are these people who think that the 64 bit the move to 64 bit is like a maybe even almost a scam. So well, I get I get email yeah. from them, and I'll tell you what, I mean, our, our, our did you used to work with Mike Ash, right, or or did you yeah. guys not overlap? You guys did overlap when you guys yeah, were we worked for there. a couple of years together. He's yeah. a, he's a smart mother, a little bit, one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with, and and he really really did a, a hell of a write up his his blog piece on sort of what was it sixty four bit in you just yeah. like a layman's overview, an informed layman's overview of what the actual advantages of sixty four bit, and I've emailed that to some people who like. Because I get email, like my email is often. I should sell access to my email. Is what I should do, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not as vitriolic as as uh, comments would be. But it's you know, it's it's acerbic from the people who don't don't like the stuff that I write. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny. Just I I don't even know if I should be saying this, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Mike, and he got email that was basically arguing arguing with you 
but it was directed at him, <laughs> telling him his his blog post was too technical. <laughs> and I don't know if you know Mike, but he does not take that kind of shit lightly. No, I know him a little bit. I met him a few times. I mean, oh yeah, no, he just he does not suffer fools. Exactly. That I could not think of a better way to describe Mike Ash. He does yeah. not suffer. Yeah. Fools. You should have seen what he responded to this guy. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but yeah. Uh, a very, very smart piece that explains exactly what the benefits and pros and cons and, uh, and are of not just the fact that the chip is 64-bit, but the software changes to the objective C runtime that have been made to take advantage of it. Right, and that's what he really covered well. That's what I really, I have to say going in, wasn't, I kind of knew vaguely that, yeah, there was some Coco stuff that, that was a lot better, um, but that really that's the heart of it. I mean, I think maybe in basic terms... In general, if pl- just platform A, just call it a platform, is 32-bit computing platform, and then you move it to 64-bit, in general, that doesn't necessarily mean anything gets faster. It might even get slower. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you can't tell anything just by right doubling everything. It doesn't doesn't really tell you anything. Right. Yeah. It's it's almost like like the canonical like a like a, a logical argument that okay, there's a hundred. Um, hundred bills of money in a bag and one guy takes 10 of them and the other guy gets 90 of them who got more money yes well you can't answer because you don't know the value of the denominations that the guy who took the 10 bills might have taken all hundreds and the other guy was left with 91 dollar bills exactly you yeah, don't it's, have it's, information. Right. it's it's very reductive to just be like well this one's got 32 bits and the other one's got 64 bits or go Twice as good. It just doesn't work like that at all. It's a complicated machine. Right. You have to know the specifics. But in the specifics of this move of yes. iOS and the A7 and ARM going from 32 to 64, it actually is a lot of very practical advantages. Yes. Uh, both in the chip and the, the, they're sort of refined the, uh, the ISA, which is the instruction set that uh, you know the assembly that gets generated after you write the C code. The less there's good ways of doing stuff, and it's sort of like uh, cruft that can accumulate. Um, and going to this ARM64 ISA, it does away with a lot of the cruft, and so the, the, there's a bit of a hitting a reset button, you know? Right. Um, and they take advantage of that. Often when Apple changes architectures, they'll tweak the Objective-C runtime because it, it, they're breaking binary compatibility anyway. So since binary compatibility is going to be broken, they take that opportunity to do fancier stuff with the Objective-C runtime that they've been kind of uh, unable to do up until that point. And in the case of the ARM64, they do a lot of stuff with um, – because the, the pointers are 64-bit, um, and they don't need all of those bits to accurately represent what's in memory. They can do some fancy tricks like having a um, – well, tagged pointers, which means that, like, let's say you've got a, a number. You don't actually need it to point to a number. You can sort of encode it in line in, in what is ostensibly a pointer, but, in, you know, de facto it is a, a sort of an inline memory object. Right. That seems like one of the bigger wins that they came away with is the fact that they, they don't need all 64 bits in a 64-bit pointer for the pointer itself. Use those extra bits very judiciously to stash, you know, some information about the object itself or the pointer, big win. Here's the one thing somebody sent me, somebody, and I can't say who because it was a friend at Apple. Um, 
But in Mike Ash's piece, he wrote, in short, the, appro- the improvements to Apple's runtime make it so that object allocation in 64-bit mode costs only 40 to 50% of what it does in 32-bit mode. Yeah. If your app creates and destroys a lot of objects, that's a big deal. And what my friend at Apple wrote me, where they just quoted that part that said, if your app creates and destroys a lot of objects, he said that's every you know Cocoa yeah. app. So maybe if you're writing, let's say, a game where the game is only very a thin layer of the cocoa, and it's everything else inside is all custom C or C plus plus or something like that, it may not be as big a deal. But there might be other graphics type of wins. But like for an app that's actually doing a lot of standard iOS cocoa stuff, it's a huge win because object everything's an object. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly the case. If you're writing Cocoa, you are allocating objects left, right, and center. Especially now that it's being made even easier. Like they, uh, I don't know, maybe this is a little too in-depth for your, for your audience. But recently, a couple of years ago, they added um, features to the Objective-C language. So that you, could just, you could have like a, you could put like an at sign and then a number. And that would allocate like an NS number, which is a class which represents a number. Um in the old days, that would actually have to be like an actual allocation. You'd have to allocate a small little object and all of that. Now, these days, with um, uh, the way that they've rejiggered these uh, tag pointers and everything, that's it's effectively for free. So there's a lot of really good wins in a lot of small places that you wouldn't expect, but they, you know they really do add up. Right. I think, and so I think one way to look at it is that for most iOS developers, the ones, or let's say most non-game developers. And I think it almost makes sense to separate them because even if you look at yeah. the... Um, tech Talks. The Tech Talks, right, which are going around the country, they've broken them into two now where there's the games one and then the everybody else one. Yeah. Uh, and I think one way to look at that is are you writing mostly Cocoa and Objective-C code or are you mostly writing sort of cross-platform cross graphics code right. for the games? Uh, for the Cocoa people... The iOS and Mac OS X too, especially as the years have gone by and, and carbon has sort of been put out to pasture and even apps that are officially or technically carbon apps are really now mostly cocoa internally because they're, mm-hmm. you know, they can do that. That the, the operating system is more than just what you think of as an operating system. It's, it's the operating system plus that, that cocoa runtime on top of it. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And that's where a lot of these, uh, you know, not all, but a lot of this, the advantages to going 64-bit and iOS 7 uh, really take effect. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, yeah, I don't like – I'm one of those guys that would just do 64-bit build because it's not that complicated anyway. Given that you've been writing OS 10 code and you know what you're doing uh, – like I'm sure Brent didn't spend a lot of time getting Vesper over to be 64. No, he even said on his blog. I mean, literally just a couple yeah. of minutes. He had a, a couple of I forget what he said it was, but it was a couple of things, and it was easy to search and replace for it throughout the the whole. Yeah. Hour. So for me personally, I wouldn't necessarily need to take a long time evaluating the benefits. I would just do it because it's not that big a deal, and they're te- clearly telegraphing where they want to go, right? Um, well, it, that's what Brent more or less said behind the scenes was that he really does. If anybody has a hard time going 64 bit, he has no sympathy for him because it, Apple may not have actually said, "Hey, we're going to go 64 bit on iOS at iOS soon." But he, you know, 
Brent's perspective was anybody, even if you weren't a Mac developer all along, even if you're relatively, you know, if you your introduction to Apple development is iOS, you mm-hmm. should at least have had the common sense to know that Mac, you know, iOS trails Mac OS X by a couple of years in terms in of some regards, in yeah, some regards, yeah. and one of them would be going sixty four bit. Yeah, frankly, this is a product cycle early, from what I would have guessed. I would have guessed next year. Yeah, or I, think uh, or so I would have guessed on an iPad, like some kind of iPad. Yeah, no, and not, not iPad Pro, but like a higher end iPad. You know, like maybe not the mini, like the. I think I mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks ago after the event, but I was at the event when I was in the the audience. I was two seats over from Anon, from Anon Tech. Mm-hmm. And when they announced the 64-bit thing, there were a couple people before the show where everybody, you know, we all just sit around waiting for them to let us in. Everybody starts taking guesses as what what might be a surprise. And a couple people did say that, but it was sort of like a just shooting a spitball and see what will stick. But when they announced it, I looked over at Anon, and he seemed like surprised. He was like, ooh. And I was like, okay, then then that must be yeah. a surprise, you know. And I I even asked him after, and he said, yeah, I would have thought I would have thought that was a twenty fourteen thing. Yeah, I I was really kind of um, before the event, uh, you know, there was a couple of sixty four bit rumors, but there's always like you know Retina Mini rumors. Yeah. There's there's always like I totally believe they had something running on sixty four bit ARM chips. Whether or not that's actually a product is like a totally different question, you know? Right. Uh, and figuring out what the products are actually going to be from the vast sea of rumors is, a, you know, it's a totally different game. Um, I'm glad they did. This thing looks, it, I, I've got one. I've had one for about a week now. Uh, kind of crazy. Well, very, very performant. Um, just to point, like, Accessing large amounts of memory is not what the point of this chip is, though. Right. Uh, and one thing that I've heard... So one one piece of speculation that's become quite common is that uh, if they do an Apple TV to compete with this next generation of consoles, it'll be built on this, which I think is pretty obvious. You know, they're not going to ship something that's not on this sort of architecture. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. think that that's the case. I mean, now whether that's going to happen this year, Again, right. I would think no. I would yeah. just think common sense says no, that the chip is probably too expensive to put in a $99 Apple TV. And it's probably too too hard to make right now. They'd rather, you know, wh- why waste them in a $99 Apple TV when they're, they're still three, four weeks behind shipping the 5S? Yeah, I tend to agree. The other thing is, is that, Whatever the Apple TV console slash living room thing is going to be, the next generation of consoles from uh, Sony and Microsoft are coming out with 8 gigs of RAM. And there's no way you can put 8 gigs of RAM into like a $99. Right. Well, maybe they wouldn't compete on that regard, though. I mean, they're already. Right. They're, for example, I mean, they're definitely behind in RAM compared to, you know, cutting edge Android devices. I mean, I think the 5S still has one gigabyte of RAM. And I think that, like, the. Most of the top tier Android phones have two gigs. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll come back to that in a bit. But um, I, I agree. I don't think that they would try to compete in terms of raw performance. And I think a lot of these articles that are looking at this this new uh, A7 chip and being really excited about its capabilities and trying to project it into an Apple TV aren't really seeing it as the, the 
I don't think they're appreciating how hard it would be to fit that kind of power and the kind of price point that Apple TV sells at. Right. But maybe next year. Maybe next year. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, so with regards to the Android having more RAM, I think a bunch of that has to do with um, the more RAM you have, the more power drain you've got. I know we've talked about this offline, before, I think, or maybe it was on the show. I don't know. But if you've got like two gigs of RAM, you need to power that RAM, right? Right. I think so. I, just, I don't think there's any way to, to only – I don't think you can power you know one gig of it and only power the second gig when you use it. I mean, that, that, I've never heard of anything like that. I haven't heard of that. You'd have to do some crazy swapping stuff in order to get that working. I don't know. I've never heard of that. But either way, the more RAM you pack in your – I mean, the more transistors you pack in your right. device, the more power you take, right? So yeah. that's part of the, part of the trade-offs. Well, and I still think – and I know I've I've sort of banged this drum for years, but I still think it's very telling that – and I know that – and we could even talk on this later in the show. That's one of my ideas for like a maybe is, is the idea next year would Apple go with a bigger screen iPhone, at least as an option. And I know that w- yes. way more breath is spent wondering why Apple hasn't already gone to a bigger screen and w- will they go to a bigger screen soon. Whereas I feel like the thing that doesn't get attention is how come if the current iPhone with a relatively smaller screen and smaller form factor is the single most profitable device in the industry, which nobody denies, and is the mm-hmm. single best-selling phone in the industry, why why still don't any of the other, you know, like Samsung or somebody like that come out with a top-tier spec phone of that size? And I can't help but wonder it's that they can't, that they don't, you know, that they're the power consumption that they're going through to get the the performance that they have, that they need a bigger battery, and that's why they have one of the reasons why they only have bigger screens. I tend to agree with that. I think that if they did make a device of the same sort of size and form factor of the iPhone, then it would be found wanting, either in battery life or the screen would be shittier or it just wouldn't be as fast. Right. Maybe they couldn't cool it as well. I, for whatever, you know... I think if they went toe-to-toe in the exact same sort of form factor, they're just not as good at hardware right. as Apple. You know, Maybe Nokia or whatever, Microsoft now, I guess. But. Yeah, and Nokia is the only one who's done it. I guess Nokia, because, yeah. you know, although I think it's questionable, I feel like, you know, you could argue that's, that the Lumias that are the highest regarded and have the best performance are the bigger screen ones. But some of the first ones were, you know, relatively speaking about iPhone size. And I I don't think it's any surprise that Nokia was the only other company to do it. Yeah, I don't either. They they felt good. They just, I I haven't seen one of the bigger screen ones. But yeah, I totally expect Apple will do a larger screen phone next year. If only because I think now they're getting into that. Remember the first few years of um, iPod where it would just be, iPod after iPod, and they just get bigger, yeah, with a couple more features, and then they started diversifying the line. I think we're at the point in iPhone now where we're going to start diversifying and having like a large screen one. Uh, what's effectively iPhone Pro, which is you know your gold or your gunmetal gray one, and then the you know the the sort of more consumery one with the iPhone five C. I always forget what I've spoken about on the show and what's not on the show. So if I've said this on – maybe I said this on the show last week with Maltz. But I still think it's a good question. All right. Clearly, there's some demand for a bigger-screened iPhone. But I feel there's two entirely different groups who want a bigger-screened iPhone. One is 
relatively younger people who have good eyes and want to pack more pixels on the screen so they can fit. Let's just say if they're reading, they can fit more words on the screen at one time. Mm-hmm. The other group is in general, relatively older people who have worse eyes who want the same amount of text, but they just want it 20% bigger so that the same amount of text is different. And in how would you implement that? One group, I think you, you would want like a, a, you know, way more pixels per inch. They want a higher density screen. The other group would want what's effectively like the res, the, the 264 pixels per inch of the, mm-hmm. the, the current retina iPad and just cut a five-inch iPhone screen out of that same display. But I don't see how you make both of those groups happy. Well, so one argument I've heard from it, and I wish I could remember where I got this from. I don't know. Somebody pretty smart, but I forget where. I don't want to misattribute it. Um, In a lot of the world, you get to pick one computing device. And... A phone is too small and a tablet's too big. And so if you can get a phone with a, like a sort of a mid-range sort of screen, you can accomplish sort of like tablet E-esque, like iPad mini sort of stuff on, on a phone, on something that you can carry in your pocket. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's clearly compromised down the line, but it, but it works if you've only got one kind of device. Yeah. I, and I, 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 as for pixel resolution, yeah, I think you'd probably want a higher pixel resolution. But I don't think that that market is necessarily sensitive to that. It's more sensitive to like, well, this device sort of compromises down the middle and in, into a sweet spot for, you know, a certain market segment. I think that some of the – like the Note, for example, is – it really is almost a silly device, at least when you use it as a phone. But I feel like maybe it's – it's there's a a practical advantage to only carrying one device that, you know – Like I I think that's too big, but I think it does sort of – it's it's popular, right? Yeah. Well, it's popular enough. And I was – I've been there. I actually – I was – I wrote about this last year. It was a year ago, but it was – when I was switching from AT&T to Verizon, before the iPhone 5 came out, I wanted to get my account switched before the phone came out just so it would all be in order. Mm-hmm. So I had to go into a Verizon store. And I, it wasn't there. I was like a couple – like a week before the iPhone came out. It wasn't to buy the phone. It was to to ask a guy at a Verizon store, if this is what I'm going to do, is it is it going to go off without a hitch, more or less. Mm-hmm. And while I was in the Verizon store, there was a, a – you know, I would say she's probably college age, but real, you know, real short, uh, a very short woman was in there, you know, young woman. <laughs> well, I'm just saying she was, you know, she, no, was, just, she, she just, was, I just love she's college age and then her height. Well, but I think the fact height. that she was small yeah. emphasized, she was there looking for uh, Got it. Yeah. A, a phone and she, you know, and, and her boyfriend was with her and he was like, are you sure you don't want an iPhone? And she, it was like right out of a commercial for Samsung. And she was like, no, I want, you know, I don't have a tablet and I want to do a lot of reading on it. And so she was going to buy the the Galaxy S3 or whatever the current one was a year ago. And then she even said, she was obviously well informed too, because then she said, I, you know, I think she was, and she said, uh, you know, I was even thinking about the note and I think Verizon didn't sell the note. And so that was the only hitch was that if Verizon had sold the Galaxy Note, which was even bigger, she'd have bought that. But she wanted to stay mm-hmm. at Verizon, so she just wanted the exactly what you. I mean, this is on. You know, yeah. I was just there overhearing it, and it was exactly that. She didn't own a tablet, didn't want to buy a separate tablet, 
just wanted one thing. And I've heard from a lot of people that that's actually like a big part of the overall sales of these five inch and bigger screens are to women in Asia and, mm. you know, who are, you know, just, you know, uh, demographically, physically smaller and certainly their hands are smaller, but they like it because they only have one device to carry and they don't have to worry about putting it in a pocket because they have a purse with them at all times and they just put it in their purse. So it doesn't matter if it doesn't fit in a pocket. So would it be stupid for your iPad to make calls? I it is. Like, it always you know, is. You don't stupid. want to stick that up to your face, but right. it's got it, it comes with those earbuds with the with the talkie thing. Well, and the other thing too is you know you don't have to I mean anywhere you go that that's even vaguely touristy, you you don't have to go far before you see someone with a full screen iPod or iPad taking photos with it. So if they're going right. to hold it up and take photos, I mean, why not hold it up and make phone calls? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is kind of stupid, but... It's stupid, but I mean, it's almost stupid like not to do that. Right. You know, I mean, it does FaceTime, right? Yeah, it does yeah. FaceTime. I think that the thing with using iPads as cameras, I see so many people doing it that it's it, it's like the, the repetition of it is is eroding the comedy of it. Like yeah. it's so many people are doing it that it you it's you almost can't make fun of it anymore because everybody's doing it. Well, it's like when the kids wear their pants so that their ass is showing. Yeah, like the, like the, the saggy well. jeans. After five or six years of that, you just kind of get bored of thinking it's stupid and it's just the way things are, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you where I see it. I mean, any kind of kids' event, you know, a, a little league game or a, a school play or something like that. I mean, it's unbelievable how many parents have you know the iPod iPad in front of their face the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Just holding it up, videoing the whole thing. That's, yeah. That's suboptimal. That's where you want Google Glass, right? So you don't... Uh, I guess. You know. I don't know. But I think yeah. there's something about it. They don't... I mean, maybe they know that they look stupid, but they don't care because it's what they have. Or maybe... maybe. Well, I think when, it's your, when you're recording your kid, you just do not give a crap what anybody thinks. It's like, I want to... I want to capture this, right? Well, like and want... and maybe the X factor on that too is especially for like videoing something like that. So the argument against using your phone to do it is is like the Louis C.K. argument, right? Which yeah. I'm going to butcher, but is more or less. How about you just put your fucking phone in your pocket and enjoy this moment for real for once in your life? Yeah. You know that here are these kids up on stage singing their heart out, being embarrassed and nervous in front of all these people. How about you just be in the moment and just yeah. enjoy it and remember it. Uh, I like where you're going with this because you're about to say that with the iPad, it's a larger screen. So exactly. You feel like you're, eh. Right. It's not so much that you're watching it on a little two or three inch screen and missing it. You're watching it on a, on a screen still, which is not the same as watching it for real, but it's almost like in terms of your field of vision, mm -hmm. it, it is, you know, relatively comparable. That's interesting. I think Louis C.K. would still want to punch you in the face. Yeah, I is, think it, Louis C.K. would definitely still punch you in the face. <laughs> But yeah, that's. But it might explain why yeah. people do that. So yeah, but I so I do think that Apple will do a larger screen phone. I think it's inevitable. Yeah, I I think so. I think, and I think maybe the way to go is to put more pixels in it, but maybe have some kind of way in settings to you know like with in a, in the direction that they're going with the um, the dynamic, dynamic type yeah. to say I you know all right, I got this bigger phone and it has all these pixels. I want the text bigger. And then when you adjust it in settings once, that's hopefully system-wide, not just in Apple's apps, but in third-party apps, 
-hmm. they'll take that cue and make stuff bigger rather than pack more on the screen. Right. Well, I mean, they can default it by device too, right? Right. There's nothing saying that the, the every uh, oh like the the OS has to have the same default per device. So if you got a device with a wacky resolution, you could adjust the type. Right. It could even be that the default is bigger text, and that the the younger, nerdier people who want to pack more on screen would would have to set it lower yeah. rather than expect other people yeah. to set it higher. Like I, I honestly expected the iPad Mini for iOS seven to have different default type settings than. Uh, I did you know, too. Like a Retina iPad. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean that iOS seven on the iPad seems a little, not quite fully baked yet. So. Yeah. I've I, I think I mentioned this too. I th- I actually think it even got worse with the GM. I because I was running the betas on on the iPad and the iPhone over summer, and I, I feel like it got worse with the iPad or with the GM. Yeah. I, I'm still I'm really kind of surprised in hindsight that they that they released it at the same time. I really thought maybe they would do like 7.0 would be iPhone only and we'd have to wait an extra month for 7.1 and then it would support the iPad. Yeah, like iOS, uh, what, 3.2 style? Like when they had just the, like the iPad only build? Yeah. I mean, mm. I don't think it was a disaster for them and it doesn't no. seem like it's been a disaster, but it was clearly still, I mean, you know, the, the, the well, overall... Well, they didn't have it ready at WWDC, right? That's... Right. It just always seemed like it was tracking three weeks, three, four weeks behind the iPhone version, and it still did even when they released the GM. Yeah, I'm curious to hear the story behind that. Yeah, I don't know either. Because like one thing I've seen over and over again is that you know, I, I read a lot of my email on the iPad. I'll just catch mm-hmm. up on email at the end of the day. And a lot of my email is you know, people send me links, and I tap the link. And you tap a link, and usually it shoots you over to Safari, and then you read, you know, it loads, and you read it. But every once in a while, mm-hmm. I'll tap a link. And I just get like a white screen and it just waits. And it's, I, you know, I'm guessing that it's like flushing memory or something like that. But it takes hmm. a long time, five, six seconds. And even when it, that's happening, I can't, if I click the home button, nothing happens. It just locks up for five, six seconds. And then Safari comes and, it, you know, it's all back to normal. But that's very unusual. Do you get the page that you clicked on? Yeah. Okay, so you do eventually get Yeah, it, but, but it's yeah, just yeah. a very unusual for iOS wait. I mean, I think yeah. it's more or less... The the iOS equivalent of Mac OS X's rainbow cursor. Right. Right. They just don't show you the rainbow cursor. <laughs> you know what's been killing me is uh, iOS 7 Safari has that infinite tabs thing, mm. which just means that I now have infinite number of tabs set up. Like, Do you know, somebody told me... I'm I, so bad at that. I said that, but somebody told me that there is still a limit. I think it's like 32. I, I might be oh, okay, a little okay. wrong. So I'm saying, inf- guess what? I don't actually have an infinite number right. of tabs, but, but I got way more than is healthy for me. You know? Right. Uh, like I do on my, you know, on my Mac. Uh, I'm not complaining. It's my fault, but it is kind of funny. Like I used to be pretty disciplined about, like if I'd open something in a tab, I would read it within a day. Right. Now I've got tabs that I'm like, oh yeah, I opened that like three weeks ago and I should probably read that article. Right. Like on the one hand, it really sucked when you had all eight tab slots filled up and you opened the ninth and it would overwrite the oldest yeah. or whatever it used to figure out which one it would overwrite. It would overwrite one of them. Yeah. And, and if you didn't remember what it was, you'd have this nagging feeling of, oh, there was something important I had in the tab yeah. and I've lost it. But in a weird way, it's that's almost like disciplinarian yeah it like kept it's you like, you know made you like you look know, either read it and close it or bookmark it yeah but either way do something with it and get it out of here yeah and whereas now yeah i'm sort of like you like yeah. i'm surprised i haven't hit the 32 limit yet yeah me too i actually really am surprised 
I do like the, the the fact that they show you all the tabs open on all the other machines. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. I think, that, and that's one of those little quiet places where, for me at least, iCloud is working great. Yes. Do you know what? One, I should follow it on this, but if I engage Do Not Disturb on, and this is only for people like us who are just total idiots and have like stacks of these things lying around, but if I put Do Not Disturb on one phone, I just want that to apply to all of my devices. Oh, if that, I go to yeah. I go to bed, I had Do Not Disturb. And then I get an email, and it's like, I forgot to turn it off on, like, three other phones I happen to have in the next room, and they all just light up and start beeping at me. Yeah, instead of being a device setting, it should be a... Uh, it's like a, a server setting. Yeah, like, like well, an not. iCloud account setting. Like, any, any machine yeah. that's, that, uh, that has the, my, my iCloud account should also shut up until yeah. the, the, this time. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, I could see that. Um... Okay, got a little bit off course. Looping back to the ARM64. Yeah. Besides the Apple TV console fantasy stuff, uh, a lot of people started talking about sticking this chip inside a Mac. Yeah, I did too. I shot my yeah. mouth off about that, like a dummy. Like publicly? I just said like, on the day that it was announced, I was like, I can't help but think, of, you know, does this presage, uh, you know, a, yeah. a, a I don't think you're a dummy. I, I, I'm, I would be shocked if it's not running in the labs. Right. Oh, I would definitely think so. There's no way it's not running in the labs. It's right. just crazy. To, if you think otherwise, you're just crazy. Right. Whether it would ever be a product is, you know, something. And for something a couple of reasons, you know, I, I think for one thing, once Mac OS X moved to 64-bit on, on Intel a couple of years ago, clearly any future transition to another uh, – platform was also going to have to be 64 you can't go back to 32 bit um but i think for other reasons but no i don't think it would be weird it would be weird right Uh, i i I mean they're good at spitting marketing stuff at times i don't think i just don't think stepping back from that yeah that's yeah yeah. but i think for a couple of other reasons too though like when they describe the new arm v you know the arm 64 instruction set and the whole a7 as a whole as being a desktop class architecture yeah because they they punch that word a yeah. number of times they also punched oh here's one thing uh for the a6 that they were describing inside the 5c did i get that right yes yeah. i got that right um they kept punching console level gaming mm. console level graphics and then the a7 was like even better like they they were just like the, the graphics blowed away and just the way that they had uh, you know how they work. They don't just pick words randomly. Right. Like when they say desktop class CPU, they they want to evoke exactly that sort of thought. Like they want to evoke the conspiracy conspiracy theories that the next MacBook Air is going to have one of these things in it because it's just that powerful. Well, and I also think too that like especially with the MacBook Air, like the MacBook Air and, – and this is one of those areas too where, where you know the iPhone has clearly gone this route now where there's two – new devices one of them is about having cutting edge specs and being like a high end you know very you know the most expensive phone on the market and the other one is about being still great but more about other things right mm-hmm. with the 5C well the MacBook has been like that all along there've always been tiers and the MacBook Pro is you know has the retina screen now mm-hmm. uh you know obviously has has much higher performance than the air the air is yeah. always about being lightweight really thin and yeah. battery life 
Yeah, ditch the optical drive early. Right. Uh, SSD was an option on the very first ones. I think it was always SSD. I don't think they've ever had a MacBook Air. I think the right? Rev A was you could get a spinning hard drive. Oh, and, right. And right. it was like an. Because they were exactly, and it was like, what's the point? Priced. Right. Yeah. But it was like, yeah. what was the point? Because it exactly. was, performance yeah. was bad and everything. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Um, so I feel like they could do that. Like, they could, in theory, I think, put an ARM 64 chip in a MacBook Air. And, and even if performance takes a hit on certain benchmarks, if battery life doubles again, and they could say, you know, here, now we have a Mac with 21 hours of battery life, that's a win. Because if your concern is the yep. performance, you're buying a MacBook Pro anyway. Yeah, I yes, it's so I'm speaking at CocoConf at the end of the month, and my talk is actually all about power management and this kind of stuff. Um, and I don't, I think people have been chasing this car truck analogy way too much. Because, I mean, it's that 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 was what Steve Jobs's explanation for. There's iOS devices and there's the Mac, and we'll always have the Mac because the Mac is the truck and the iOS devices are around and everybody just needs a car to get around. All right, and that was circa 2010, which yeah. was in, uh, at the D, whatever, All Things D conference about three months after the original iPad came out. Yes, and, and people keep trotting this out over and over and over, and it's, I mean, bless the guy, but everybody knows that he kind of just... <laughs> I, you know, I think that was a metaphor that described the situation at the time. I don't think that is anything set in stone. It is not an immutable fact of the way that computers work. Uh, and I think then rather than just seeing cars and trucks, I think we're going to end up seeing a continuum of uh, sort of performance versus um, power consumption. Right. And, you know, and you could even look at it. You could take, you know, if you want to, you could look at it and say, there's all sorts of different trucks too. There's everything right. from the, you know, a, a yeah. You got your F one fifty, right? Sort of truck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you've got one of the giant Earth Mover trucks, like right? The, or you, which is the Mac Pro versus you know, like the le- legitimate Mac Pro that'll be out you know by the end of the month kind of thing versus a MacBook Pro versus a MacBook Air versus an iPad Pro, like one of those iPads with a bunch of extra money, uh, money, a <laughs> uh, bunch of extra uh, storage. All the way down to like a, whatever, like a hypothetical watch or something, you know? Right. Or you even got something like, uh, remember the El Camino? Did they have the El Camino up in Canada? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I wanted to make an El Camino joke, but I wanted to not evoke. <laughs> I got to send it. I got to put this link like, in the show The notes. El Camino is, that is the, that is the Microsoft Surface of, right. of locomotion, automotion, right. automotives, I guess, yeah. No compromises. No compromises. It's a car. It's a truck. It's a it's a muscle. It's not car. even just a car and a truck. It's a sporty car. It's a muscle car and that's a truck. <laughs> that's the problem with it is that they combined like a sports car with a truck. But it appeals to a certain uh, audience. Like like you could say like a Subaru is kind of a similar sort of hybrid, right? Like right. Well, and Subaru four four Subaru car, even you know? Subaru had one like that. I forget what it was really? called. Oh, man. I don't know. If I bet, if you Google Subaru El Camino at all, they had a car that was like a sub, like an El Camino. <laughs> yeah, the Subaru Brat, <laughs> the Brat. Look at this. You got to go to the you got, uh, Subaru no, Brat. Too busy. Have you seen? The, uh, yeah, you've looked at this link. 
Yeah, I remember but seeing like, them. There's like these '80s babes hanging out next to like El Caminos. Yeah. Well, you got us the Subaru Brat, and Brat was an acronym for oh, By no. Drive Recreational All Terrain Transport. Oh God, holy crap! Look at this thing. You know what I will say about the Brat though is that they didn't go with the sports car look. <laughs> no, they did like, not. Like the front looks like a Saab. <laughs> like they took a Saab and they welded in like a, a truck thing to it. It, it the Subaru Brat I think looks like like something that a couple of really clever high school kids yes taking auto shop could could do to a Subaru uh station wagon. Yes. Like they would get hired immediately into de- like designing automobiles. Yeah. Right out of high school. And then they would be embarrassed that they'd built this thing. Yeah. But it it's yeah. Uh, this one's I, I got more respect for this than the, the El Camino. Seems a little bit more practical, but anyway, it's yeah. like you said, there is a continuum anyway, yeah. even between cars and trucks. Yeah, and I think that holding anything that Steve said too preciously is a mistake. Just in general, yeah, I don't think he held anything he said no. too preciously. So I don't know why everybody else. Well, I, I think just to. take a. I think that he only meant that that metaphor, that analogy, at a very very shallow level, which was that look for a while everybody drove trucks and you know if you're going to buy a motor vehicle you might as you have to haul stuff around. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was a you know a market opportunity to come out with something that would just move the people around and didn't have all that cargo. Right. You know, there's a certain spec in terms of what you can haul. That cars, you know, come out almost practically at zero. Like what you can put in a trunk of a car compared to the bed of a truck is, right. you know, tiny. And you know, it's true. That, and and there's a point though where the people who, you know, are diehard truck users are going to assume that everybody needs it, and they're going to say nobody nobody can get by with this. Right. And I don't right. think that's true. No. Right, so yeah, we agree. I. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm. I got to uh, whatever. I still got to write this talk fully, but. Definitely, I see that there's going to be a continuum be- between these things. And I, I think, you know, like an ARM64 and a MacBook Air, I don't think that's crazy. In fact, I, I bet you, you know, dollars to donuts that it's working right now. Uh, whether or not it will be a product is like, who knows? That's That has to do with things that we can't possibly guess from the outside reading any kind of tea leaves, right? Yeah, and who knows? You know, it could it could really come down to you know, you know, some kind of future meeting you know between Tim Cook and and whoever else and executives from Intel. Yeah, and you know they come into the room and there's already the machine running. You know, here's the here's a prototype running uh, yeah. an A7. Now, what kind of deal you want to give us? Yes, yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, is that. <laughs> Well, Intel will just laugh at them and be like, okay, well, throw more money at Samsung if you want. I can't remember if I'm hearing this right, but it, I seem to recall that maybe they did that with like IBM. Wasn't it with IBM? For yep. the Before they went to Intel, they showed like the, the – the, uh, what was the last PowerPC? You know what? I used to know the code name for that project. Yeah. But that they, it was a pretty know, good one. Trying to get IBM to actually, you know... Oh, they were begging and pleading. They did right. not want to let go of the PowerPC stuff. Right. And for a while, it was pretty good. Just IBM just totally stalled out there. Right. Um, cause, so the thing with the PowerPC is they would... IBM was actually developing power chips. I forget what they were actually called. 
It was just power something. But they were high-end server chips. Yeah, like Power like 64 along, or something like that. Yeah, they were like, you know, they were competing with uh, like SunSpark chips and like the, you know, the heavy-duty late 90s, early 2000s kind of... Workstations. Workstation-class right. chips, right? And the Power PC was cut-down versions of those. And they had promised to be able to fit one into a laptop, and they just could never get the G5 in there because right. it was way too hot, which is kind of unsurprising when you think about it because they're taking something that's built to be working in a room with you know air conditioning and fans and all kinds of stuff and you know trying to stick it in a laptop. It's clearly you know, a bit of a stretch there. Yeah. So this new way of coming up from the ARM chips seems interesting. Because the another interesting thing is, have you been able to identify um, an application class where we've required a lot more performance over the years, like recently? Do you know what I mean? Like, seems like we can edit Word files fine. You know what I mean? Like maps, maybe, but even that's mostly GPU stuff. I don't know. I feel like. Uh... I feel like some of the performance stuff recently. One of them, I one of them, I feel like you can never underestimate is is how computationally expensive HTML rendering is. Yeah, like it's yeah. you forget it's, about it's it. It's shockingly. Con- well, I mean, you guys must have hit this in Vesper, right? When you're trying right. to lay out text, it's like pain in the ass. Well, but we never used we never used the um, like prior to iOS seven. The you know the the whatever the text view is that you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But But what I'm saying is, like, what people don't understand is if you want to do proper kerning and if you want to measure the lines correctly... Yeah, just simple... Yeah, just good proper text layout is actually computationally expensive. Especially when it's in a view that you expect to be able to scroll with your finger at 60 frames per second. Because you need to sort of iteratively iteratively solve for, like, how are you going to lay out the the text and sort of maybe kern in a little bit extra to, like, line it up at the end. Like, you know, depending... How you, uh, uh, oh man, what's the, uh, the alignment, you know? Right. No, it's all expensive. Yeah. And then, you know, add in all the arbitrary layout stuff that's, that, it, you know, a modern HTML engine lets you do. And it's, you know, yeah. it ends up being very expensive. And you can test it. I remember testing it with the original iPhone where everybody knew that the edge, you know, the, the cellular networking was super, super slow on the original yeah. iPhone. But even when you were on Wi-Fi, it took a long time to, to render web pages. Yeah. Uh, just you know what you don't see anymore is that, uh, you know, that checkerbox pattern. Like no. when you'd used to scroll Safari and right. you'd see that. Uh, yeah, they've come a long way. So that's one area where performance is still a factor. I, re- I just read this week there was a good piece on Mac Rumors, or maybe it was last week, about um, – DJ and VJ from yes. Algorithm, yeah. and the the performance gains they saw just by recompiling for sixty four, like the same app before they recompiled for sixty four, ran it on the iPhone five S. So it's you know, and and it's not when you run a thirty two bit app on the five S, it's not emulated. It's you know, it, it runs thirty two bit ARM code natively. Yeah, but, they've actually got a separate section of the chip that will just run 32-bit code. Right. And, and if 32-bit code isn't executing, they'll just cut power to it. Uh, so there's a class of app. And now if you you know you guys don't know DJ and VJ, they're these, you know, really cool, but I don't even know how to describe them. But they're, you know, they're like, it's 
for like well it's a dj program and right. a program that can mix video in a similar way right. both very very well done but even the, even even dj the one just for music though is graphically intensive in terms of having these like yes. the the controls that track your fingers so you can sync up the two songs and Yep. Do all the stuff that DJs do to to scrub the song yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. No, uh, they busted their ass trying to get that as smooth as possible. And it's super smooth, but going sixty four bit, just recompiling, you know, without rewriting, just recompiling for sixty four, it just made them way more performant. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, I think there's definitely stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So I agree. I just think that those apps, as great as they are, I think they're uh, in a minority use case. Probably. I think one of the areas where... The, Which isn't to say everybody listening to this shouldn't go out and buy them. Just go buy yeah. them right now. But, <laughs> you know, I think they've even sponsored your show before. Yeah, definitely. So, I know DJ yeah. has. Um, yeah. But, one but of you, the, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I think maybe now we're capping out in terms of what we need, in terms of power. Uh, and Sorry, in terms of uh, mix, speed. Right, computational right. speed. And maybe now what we want to be going for is uh, I never want to plug my computer in. Like yeah. Ever. Yeah. Like wouldn't it be great to get two solid days out of an iPhone right. than, than still get one day but have it be a little faster again? Yeah. I mean Mavericks just went GM this week. Can we talk about that? I guess. Sure. So. I think so. Well, I'm going to. Uh, you know, the major features of that are power saving. Right. And this was on a desktop OS in 2013. I, I find that fascinating that, like, sort of the major push here is is to make your Mac act more like an iPhone. I, uh, I think that's definitely the case. Hold on a second. Let's do this first sponsor break, and then that's where yeah. we'll pick up. I want to tell you about Hover. Hover.com. Wait, you sure? We're, we're 50 minutes in. You sure you want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit better time. You're not calling it a bit early here? Okay. Yeah, I'll start. Well, I'm going to start the first one early. Hover.com. Okay. If you've ever registered a domain, God bless you, because you know that the companies that most of the companies that let you register domains, all they're to do, it, registering a domain isn't even their business. Their business is upselling you with all sorts of stuff you don't want. If you don't check the right box, you're going to buy it by accident. They're, they're, they're scams, really. They really are. I'm not going to name names, but you can probably take a guess at some of the companies. Hover is the complete opposite. They never try to ups- uh, upsell you on anything. All they want to do is sell you domain names with a great interface, a great management interface after you've registered the domains uh, and offer you good services that you might want from a domain registrar, like uh, who is privacy and domain forwarding, features that, you know, actually makes sense for a domain registrar to give you. They make the whole process easy uh, to get a .com address or .net, .co, that's the .co, that's what we got for uh, for Vesper app, uh, .me, or just about .anything you want that's a legitimate top-level domain. Uh, they make it easy to search for available domain names, which is often one of the hardest parts. And they make it easy to see what's available, what's similar to what you're looking for, what top-level domains you can get the the, the word for. Uh, and if you have any problems at all, they are well-known throughout the industry for having great customer support. You just call Hover, and a real human being answers the phone, and they'll take care of your problems. Uh, they even have something called valet transfer. So if you have a domain somewhere else at some domain registrar that you're unhappy with and you want to switch – they will literally do the whole process of moving the domain to hover for you. And that can be a huge pain in the ass. Um, 
and they recently also they just started offering if you want Google Apps for domains. Um, so you can use that if you're using Google Apps to get you know let's say you have your whole domain, your company, your small business, whatever running Gmail through your domain, you can go to Hover and they'll help you integrate that. Well, I'll tell you what they've got is they've got a 30 day free trial to see what you think. Uh, I bet there's not a single person who's taken them up on their 30 day free trial who hasn't uh, stuck with them. So go to hover.com slash talk show, T A L K S H O W. Find out more and uh, get your domain from hover.com. You know what I got to do is I got to use their valet service thing. I got I got a domain that's like stuck on network, whatever the whatever the call the you know the guys that shoot elephants. <laughs> I got I got I got to get it off there. I forget about it all the time, but I got to use their valet thing to pry that away. Yeah. And, and I've got a few know. on like some oddball registrars where I don't even remember why over the years that I used some oddball one off. Like I have like one domain on this one registrar. I, I got to consolidate all that. Yeah. Oh. You have a good day. You have a tasty beverage with you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, man, I like a tasty beverage. Uh, yeah, actually ducked out to, to reload during your ad read. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about the chips, power management stuff. Oh, I know exactly what you said. Where isn't it interesting that, that Apple's direction oh, for, for yeah. Mavericks, both with the hardware and – because that was really – I mean that was the whole the whole takeaway from this year's upgrade to the MacBook Airs was really all about battery life. Yeah. I mean the screens Which are the is, same – I kind of don't envy their marketing department, although it is a good pitch. 12 hours battery is good or whatever, 18 hours, whatever the hell it was. Uh, but at the same time, it's not sexy, right? It's not like, you know, you don't get to do a demo with the Unreal Engine where you slice somebody up by the sword. Right. Right. It's definitely harder to demo. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, in some ways, you know, the Mac Pro is almost certainly going to be, the, by unit sales, the least popular Mac that Apple makes. It probably always has been because it's so expensive. And so it's one of my most interesting devices that it's, I'm looking forward to, but it's, you know, it's not a mass market device. It's, no, you know, not by a, a long shot. It's a race car, no. uh, yeah. but it demos. It's great for demos because you can, you know, that's the one where you can do the, you know, it can run the most advanced demos you can possibly think of, right? You can, you yeah. can create video, you know, or, or graphics demos that could only run on a Mac pro. Yeah. So it's great for demos, and and you know what's the MacBook Air? It's probably almost certainly the Mac with the least graphics capabilities. You know what they need to do? They need to lock like a MacBook Air in a in a like a glass cube over the Vegas Strip with like one of those uh, magicians that just does like endurance <laughs> stuff and <laughs> just have it running. See which one lasts longer. Right. Basically, that's that's your gimmick. Well, I always think of it whenever I go, whenever I'm in an airport and you're just walking down the terminal, you know, going to your gate and, and you just see, you know, grown businessmen wearing, you know, like a nice suit just sitting on the floor back right. against the wall because they need to have their laptop near an outlet. Yeah. It's a serious It's deal. something that evokes like a high school thing for me there. Like, I don't know. Just this weird helplessness of this guy that's like just kind of stuck sitting in the corner with his laptop plugged in, sitting like cross-legged. Right. It's not comfortable, but it's like it's like the, the greatest commodity in an airport is battery life. Right. Yeah. Because there's so few outlets. 
you know, very few airlines. I mean, there's Virgin America, which sadly, you know, few people fly on. They're struggling. They've got power outlets by the seats, but most airlines don't. So once you're on the plane, it's like whatever battery life you've got on your laptop when you get on the plane, that's all you've got for the flight. Yeah. So, I, I like Virgin. I, I flew Virgin once. Can you guess when? Uh, I probably uh, to Vegas. No, because I don't from, fly to Vegas. From Vegas to San Francisco. Yeah, like that's week, right. The weekend I went to Vegas at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> I've done the opposite. I have flown San Francisco to Vegas on Virgin. Uh, that's good. All, it's too quick of a flight because Virgin yeah. is so nice. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, but I got a taste of it, so that was good. But there's very few airlines. I mean, just because the way the air, you know the planes were designed, few of the airlines have planes that were designed for the modern era where people really desperately need uh, AC power in their seats. And who knows? You know, like right. uh, the way that everything is transitioning to these long life tablets. You know, by the time you know the the planes get refreshed, that may not even be an issue anymore. I mean, people still want to yeah. charge their phones and stuff, but. Yeah, Virgin even has. Unless I'm misremembering, it's been a couple of months since I've flown. I think Virgin even has USB outlets, which is really what you need. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. But anyway, it's clearly an issue. I'm, I'm not optimistic about battery uh, technology. Well, I think that's you know, like it, like it, it certainly hasn't been advancing at the same rate of, as you know, computer technology. No, definitely not. But that's why some of the things, some of the jumps that Apple has taken in recent years stick out, like the fact that this year's MacBook Airs went from, I forget what they were the year before, but it was more than just like a one or two hour bump. It was like a five or six yeah. hour bump. Yeah. And as far as I know, I haven't looked at the, I have to do some research for this talk I'm going to give, uh, but it's not like the batteries got better. It's that the software got better. Right. And the hardware got better at turning itself off. Um, but the basic power source is not improving at a very great rate. No. And, and it does, think, that's clear. Like you said, that's clearly a lot of what Mavericks is about. So how, what else is yeah. in Mavericks that's battery related? Uh, okay. So that's a good question. There's a couple of things like when you're, if all of the windows in your app are covered, you'll get a callback. You'll, you'll be notified. Uh, and then you can stop doing any kind of background processing hmm. because you're clearly not rendering, right? You won't be updating. Right. Um, what else is there? That seemed like a big one in and of itself. The fact that like a window that's obscured isn't going to consume power. Because that was a really good demo at WWDC. Yeah. So I was sitting with uh, Chris Parrish and – or not sitting – after the show, I was with uh, Parrish and uh, – our friend Luke Adamson, who's ex Omni Group guy, very very smart guy, uh, and we were trying to figure out how that works because if you're expecting to update, if you, you're in, you know, you're let's say your web browser and you're, you're playing something back in the background and you're expecting to update sixty times a second every time the screen refreshes, and you do work that isn't purely to render, but is is to do some sort of housekeeping stuff. And when you get covered, then you don't get a chance to do the housekeeping stuff. What happens? Do we know? What's the answer? Uh, the answer is you get told when you're, you're – you, first of all, you opt into this. Hmm. Even then as a you, web page? No. Uh, well, Safari does it for you. Right. 
and they juggle whatever the hell they juggle. Right. So know? for an app to take yeah. advantage of this, you have to opt into it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Safari does opt in, and uh, I don't even know if they support plugins anymore, but guess what? They don't have to wait for Adobe to make this work. They just do it for themselves for, with their own stuff. Um, and then you just, you basically just don't be an idiot. You, you, when you get called to render, you just render. And if you don't get called to render, you don't, you don't render. So you try to separate the logic of any kind of house cleaning that you may have to do from, from the rendering logic. Uh, so you get called on it. You can be told it's kind of like the way when you get swapped out on iOS, your app just gets told like, okay, you're going to sleep. Well, if you take that principle and bring it to the Mac, uh, your app gets told when per window, when the window gets obscured so that rendering is pointless and it gets told when all of the windows in the app go away. So you can, you know, further turn back any, any right. uh, like housekeeping that you're trying to do. Seems uh, like a huge win. I mean, and I've always yeah. known it too, like, uh, you know, and I'm d- nerdy enough that I'll be r- running activity monitor just to see what's going on. But yeah. I'll be on an airplane and I'm writing an article and I have two or three tabs open in Safari because they're the things I'm referencing for what I'm writing about. And I can mm-hmm. see that Safari is taking 30% of my CPU. And it's because I have yeah. these things open and they're just it's just running JavaScript or something over and over and over again. Yeah. And That's it nice. kills me because I know it's killing my battery, but there's like nothing I don't want to close the window. Well, so one feature which is kind of I'm a little surprised that they surfaced this you know, to you know, quite this sort of user level. But if you click the battery icon in Mavericks, it will show you like the you know the, how much how much charge the battery has, but it'll also give you a list of the apps that are using the most energy. That's pretty interesting. And so you can click on it and just kill it if you right. want. Um, and that's kind of a weirdly nerdy thing for them to do. Like OS X has usually been trying to move away from like pointing out nerdy stuff, you know? Right. Or or uh, even making you think about like what app is running and what is not. I mean, you know, in every couple of years they'll come out with a new dock design and usually right. the first thing they do is take the away first iteration, right. they always take away the indicator of what apps are running. And then yeah. the guys like me and you are like, Hey, 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 come on. You, I gotta know what's running and what's not running. And then Well, like, guys like you, I'm I kind of I'm kind of okay with them not having the indicator there. Well, you know what I mean, though, by guys like people who truly yes. at least understand the difference between an app that's still running and an app that is not still running. Yes. Of our gang of, of pals, I feel that I would be the odd man out being like, I don't want to see the, the little dot. Right. In theory, I think everybody would agree that nobody wants to know what app is actually open or closed. They should just all be working. Right. Which is the way iOS has always been. Exactly. Exactly. In, in practice – you know, it's still a Mac and there's still some, you know, bullshit going on. Right. And the goal should be that if your app isn't running, you should make it as quick to launch as possible and go right back to where they, you were the last time you weren't so that yep. the user doesn't even see the difference. Maybe yep. there's a couple of seconds of difference, but, you know. So Mountain Lion and Mavericks uh, have both added a bunch of APIs to make that a lot easier to do. Like you can save state and and quit your app and relaunch it, and it should all just come back to exactly where you were, uh, with the selection, uh, 
you, you know, you could save off what you had selected so that when you relaunch the app, you get the same selection and everything, which we do for Napkin. Uh, what you do lose, which kind of sucks, is that – so you can opt in and say that you can quickly kill my app at any point. And what will happen is when you switch away from it, it will automatically save in the background. And then if there's some kind of memory pressure or like uh, there's no windows on the screen or if the user just logs out, uh, your app will be killed. When you log back in or whatever, when you, when you relaunch the app, your app is expected to restore its state, which you can do if you, if you write the code correctly. But what you lose is the undo state. Right. You, can't, you can't keep your undo stack, hmm. which to me is like... like you're breaking the illusion. You're not only you're breaking the illusion. Undo is, I think, one of the best features computers have uh, ever un- had. Exactly, undo right. is what computers do. Right, like in modern, like what the Mac style of interface design exactly. compared to the. You the, mess around, did you right. fuck it up? Undo. Right. Not a problem. And like removing that is a you know that's that's. It was a it, uh, you know what there were probably thirty different people who came up with the exact same design for a T-shirt and you know but I remember like back in college in the early nineties there was a a lot of people had a shirt that just said uh, I never had one I couldn't figure out where they got it but it just said Command Z like the the little command yeah, yeah, symbol yeah. Z because it was you know it was like the best yeah it's great I love it all right. Yeah, so, so yeah, I don't even mean that, to say that it's it's minor breaking the illusion. Yeah, it's it's actual like losing the undo stack is is losing something important. It's true destructive behavior. Exactly, and I think that it's mostly. I mean, again, to 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 be reductive, you know, guys like us, like people that would be listening to the show, would notice it, and I don't think most other people would notice it. But I think that while they won't notice exactly what happened, they will learn to become mistrustful. Right. Like the, the, the more seamless you make the illusion that the app is running even when it's not, the more apparent it will be that the undo stack just vanishes from time it, to time. It just beca- and it feel, it's going to feel random. I think even to someone but, like me, like I may not even guess, right? Like I'm fairly yeah. technically adept. I could be running napkin, and sometimes it sometimes undo works, and sometimes undo doesn't. Is what it's going to seem like to me because I wasn't even aware that it got right. it got closed out in the background because I I'd, right. I'd left it open for two days. Yeah. I just know I'm coming back to this thing, and I remember what I was doing, and now like, right. why did I add this stupid text? I want to undo it. Yeah, and you may figure it out, or you may just yell at me, and I'll tell you what happened. But right. yeah, it's it's an issue. Uh. Go. You had something in mind? Well, I was going to take a second sponsor break. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to tell you about Ding. D-I-N-G by Tight. New sponsor. What is Ding? It's time tracking for people who are running their own show. It's built for freelancers, small teams, and it's a product that they, the guys who built it, these guys at Tight, it's, it's the time tracker they wanted to use. They built it for themselves, and it's meant for any small teams. It's got all the features that managers, uh, you know, the type of things, like a type of time tracking software that's designed by, like, managers, and that's a real pain for the actual people using it to work. Yeah, they took all those features out. 
and all they did is focus on the features that uh, people who actually have to do stuff during the day would want to use. Focus on the hours you put in, what you spend it on, and the money you're going to make. It's got a beautiful UI. It's a tool you're actually going to like using in your day because it just it looks cool. Very fast. Uh, and the iPhone app is designed for iOS 7. And they have a pretty pretty slick iOS 7 design in terms of – and I know uh, I've spent a lot of time the last few weeks talking about what to do with the new status bar. Uh, I think they have a pretty cool solution to it. Uh, you can just see the screenshots if you go to the App Store and search for Ding. Um, but it's designed for iOS 7 and definitely looks like it. So if you sign up, here's where you go to sign up. Their website is ding.io slash the talk show. D-I-N-G dot I-O slash the talk show. If you use the promo code, the talk show, you get a 90-day free trial. No credit card required up front. Uh, that's an amazing deal. I mean, that's like three months. That's like well past the end of the year. Well more than enough time to tell if this is the time tracker for you. That's how confident these guys are that you're going to like it. The app, the iPhone app, is in the App Store now. It's brand new. It's built for iOS 7. You can check that out just by searching for Ding in the App Store. So my thanks to Ding. Anybody out there looking for time-tracking software, check them out. It's really cool stuff. Very nicely designed. I'd use it. I've only got one client now. Like I, I work for my company and for one client, so I don't actually have much use for that. But, man, keeping track of that stuff is a pain in the ass. I I used to before I did Daring Fireball full time. I did a lot of freelance work. I guess you know I had some full time jobs in there here and there, but yeah. spent most of my my career before that doing freelance work. And at the time I was doing freelance work, there were no good time tracking apps. None. It's terrible. Yeah, total pain in the ass. It was the worst. Ah, it feels like busy work too, right? So you want to make it as easy as possible. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. I'll have to put that in the show notes. Yeah. I could see me and you driving across the country. Do you know what? My my joke was going to be, we're going to buy one of these. We're going to get an El, El Camino. Yeah. But we got to get one like this. Yeah. I'm going to keep this tab open. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Badass. Um, okay. So, Ding designed for iOS 7. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to switch. I'm going to... Yeah. We're going to run along, but whatever. I'm going to turn the tables on you. All right. Uh, Vesper, iOS 7. Yeah. Ballsy. Yes or no? To go iOS 7 only? Yeah. I don't think so. I, and it was funny. Um, and back at WWDC, when they first announced iOS 7, I mean, this is literally while uh, Brent and Dave and I were all in San Francisco for WWDC, and mm. they announced it. And they showed it, and we had a day or two to think about it. And we were, it was like, I think like Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. And uh, I had a meeting on Thursday with like a rep at the App Store, just like a sort of meet and greet. You know, we're happy to have you guys in the store and, you know, just, you know, get to know you type of thing. And do you have any questions for us? And I asked then at the, at, when they said, hey, do you have any questions? I said, do, what, do you, what would you guys think about us going iOS 7 for our next update? iOS 7 only. And they even even the guys at Apple were like, "Ooh, I don't know. That might be a little. You know, maybe you want to wait a couple. You know, it, it, huh. we, we love we love that you're interested in it. We want everybody to get on board with it, and we know we want everybody to you know to design for it. But iOS seven only right out of the gate. We don't. I don't know about that. It was sort mm -hmm. of the you know the the you know 
think about it. They, you know, they were like, think about it. But the more we thought about it, we thought, well, who's our current audience? Our current audience is clearly people who are a little bit more nerdy, right? People who know yeah. who know, read Daring Fireball or know who Brent Simmons is. Right. They're clearly going to be at the at the leading edge of that, you know, what is it, 200 million people have already upgraded to iOS 7? And we knew yeah. it was going to be like that. I, I don't know how many people there are who who've, you, who are Vesper users who still are clinging to iOS 6, you know, maybe for good reasons. But it doesn't seem like it's been a support issue for us. I, we've, mm-hmm. I, if, there are, if there are complaints about that, I, I don't even know about them. Yeah. I think it was a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. For technical reasons, supporting both 6 and 7 is a huge pain in the ass. Um, one thing I found interesting, you know what? I don't know a quote. It's, could this could be secondhand, but didn't Barack Obama compare the rollout of the the, the ACA website to iOS seven? Yeah, I just saw that yesterday. I found that fascinating. As that, I don't think it's a knock against Apple per se. It's more that like it's such a cultural touchstone now that yeah. You can just compare one to the other and be like, look, you know, it's technology. Shit happens, and even the best stuff has problems. Yeah, U.S. politics has gotten so weird, and, and not to turn this into a political show, but, I yeah. mean, without taking any partisan side even. Yeah. But it's gotten so weird over the last decade or two where where certain extraordinarily short, short catchphrases will capture the, the coverage for about 48 hours and then just yeah, sort of yeah, fade yeah. away. Yeah. And the thing that happened this week with the rollout of the Affordable Care Act website was this word glitch. Instead of bugs, it was glitch. It, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing, you know, that there were glitches, yeah. quote unquote glitches. And, you know, that some people jumped on this as somehow a sign that it was, you know, a disaster and it's never going to work. And uh, then other people are like, no, it's just a sign that it's way more popular than it was expected. And yeah, so Obama. Uh, President Obama said something to the effect of, look, even, uh, you know, he always says, look, look, even, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my Obama impression. Look, it's good. Yeah. even iOS 7 from Apple shipped with a glitch. They fixed it. They moved on. They improved it. Yeah. We'll do the same thing. We'll fix the glitch. You know, we'll move yeah. on, which is really which true. Is, it, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's reasonable. I, it's in a weirdly politically charged atmosphere. Granted. Right, but even if you think it's it's crap public policy, even if you think it's a mistake, public oh, yeah, policy, policy wise, aside, whatever, right. I mean, I mean whatever can, he was implementing. Right. To know? jump on yeah. the fact that the website couldn't keep up with the traffic on day one is, you know, you know, that's come on, that's a that's a fixable problem. Yeah. No, well, it's not just a fixable problem. It's a problem that every website has that right. has any kind of traction at all. But it was it was but, but what, telling, I, what though, I what I found interesting right. is that he compared it to iOS seven specifically. Right. Right. And it's just, And that's that that gets back to because I, I don't want to go totally off in the weeds. Uh because I'm from Canada and we have you know Health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't I couldn't avoid that dig and I couldn't finish shoving the knife in enough. <laughs> When people get sick, they just assume they can go to a doctor. It's like I shoved the knife in halfway and then thought, right. ah, he's going to pay a lot for these medical bills, and I better not do that. Um, it goes back to your targeting Vesper at iOS 7. Yeah. I, you know, when the president of the United States yeah. can stand up and compare his rollout of his signature 
legislation of his career, probably of his life. Yep. Oh, Besides I think it's killing point, Obama. Yeah, I uh, think it's killing Obama, killing Osama. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on, that's like yeah. I, I, no, I clearly, think... you've made it. Clearly, you're you're up in the in the big leagues at that point. Um, so yeah, targeting the latest seems like the yeah, I, a cult- I, I think culturally that's, acceptable thing to do. I think that's fair to say, no matter which side of the partisan divide you're on. Where even if you like the guy or dislike the guy, I think everybody would agree that you know historically that's his signature legislative accomplishment. And if you, you yeah. know if you're whether you agree with it or not. Right. Maybe yeah. you think on one side you think this is why everybody's – eventually everybody's going to agree the guy was a terrible president. On the other side, maybe you think this is why he's sure. going to be remembered as a guy who accomplished something that really improved the country. Yeah. But it's clearly – you know, it's the biggest thing he, he, he's going to get past. Yeah. It's the biggest thing he did and then he compared it to something from Apple. Yeah. I think too – Which is weird. It's weird and it's almost petty in a way. Like he should be kind of above that. But it, I, I think it speaks to the culture of the time. I think that our – the the tech crowd underestimates, and especially with iOS seven, vastly underestimated, just how aware the general public is of yeah. things like iOS seven, right? Yeah. Because there were a lot of people who, f- for the whole summer, there was a lot of people that you know in the de- iOS developer circles who were like, "Look, I think when this thing ships, people are gonna you know people are gonna go nuts and hate it. They're gonna see the yeah. dialogue that says, yeah. oh, you have an update available.'" and you know, the last three, four, five years, when they've seen that dialogue, they hit okay. They wait five minutes and their phone or iPad restarts and it looks the same as it did before, except, you know, as bugs yeah. fixed and stuff. And now this one time they're going to do it. And when they hit restart, their phone or iPad is going to look completely different and they're going to lose their shit because normal people yeah. lose their shit when their stuff changes. Um, yeah. So I, I showed a, a beta probably shouldn't shouldn't have but whatever too late uh i showed a beta like an early beta to a couple of friends of mine who are not tech literate at all uh and they were like nonplussed they were they were like oh no it looks the same i'm like no look it's all flattened but they could navigate it the same they were like it works exactly the same it's not a big deal. Right. Like we we see (laughs) the differences way more easily than most people and I think a lot of us Yeah. Even me, even I'd say even me included, underestimated how much work Apple did to keep it at a certain fundamental level f- familiar. Yeah, I, I agree, and I didn't really realize that until I put the phone in the hands of people that really don't know anything about tech. Yeah, my mom is a good example of that because my mom. Uh, is more in charge of the Mac in, in their house than my dad. and But she'll never install a Mac OS X update without calling me or just waiting for me to visit and do it myself, You know, mm-hmm. even though they're rel- relatively automated now. Mm-hmm. Whereas she never even asked me. She just called me after she upgraded her iPad to iOS 7, and she had like one question, and, and then and all she had like one question about it, and she said, I keep hitting, uh, I keep going to the wrong side of the bar in Safari because the bookmark, menu moved mm. and she, that wasn't really a complaint she was just like isn't it funny how my finger just always goes to the same side yeah. and that was it i mean that was uh, i couldn't believe it because she didn't even call to ask is that when you gave her a syracuse's number <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about spatial i'll tell you what that would be a good show john syracuse talks to john gruber's mother about technology would be a, a, to to solve her problems with her computer. That would be great. I'm sure, you could hook that up. Holy hell, that would be good. 
I'm sure I'm sure it'll work. I'll tell you what, it would it would uh, it would get John Syracuse on the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> like by his, the his end, sauce could, is what? His sauce is Sprite. By the end of the ten ten episode series, he'd be he'd be like uh, he'd be in like rehab. I love that it's a mini series. Yeah, <laughs> it would be like a limited run. <laughs> oh, we're gonna make this happen. <laughs> I do think though, and I think that that's kind of I think a lot of all the predictions of of doom and gloom about consumer reaction to iOS seven have all been overstated, you know. And I feel like well, people have wanted yeah. to make hay out of certain things, like the the parallax making of you know a few people motion sickness. Yeah, right? yeah. But I don't want to make like I, I that's a serious problem. I can understand that, you know. Yeah, you know what though? The way that it got reported, it was funny. I was talking to somebody else in my family, you know, total regular consumer person, um, and they were very confused by it because they saw it on TV mm-hmm. and said, "What is? Were they just making that up? This is stupid. I don't see anything like that." And they because they got the impression yeah. from the TV report that everybody was getting sick from iOS seven. Then no. iOS 7 had these 3D effects and Apple screwed up and they're making everybody ill. And this is, uh, and she, you know, she has an iPhone and an iPad and has, you know, upgraded them both like the first two days and lo- likes it and enjoys it. And she's like, I don't get it. And I was like, no, no, no. What you don't get is that it's, it's people with like a certain disorder or yeah. even, I don't even know if you want to call it a disorder. They just have a proclivity to get motion sickness from, from certain 3D effects. And yes. it, this is triggering it for them. And she was like, yeah. oh, I didn't get that. Because I feel like the way, you know. Yeah, because it, it, it gets reported. It's like, hey, iOS 7 makes you sick. Right. Which is, oh, man. And I, I feel mean, like. Video I, games have been making people sick for freaking, I don't know, like how many years. Right. But, you know, you and know, I, I totally forever. sympathize because if, you, if, if video games make you oh, sick. Oh, that sucks. Well, you just know, like, well, I'll avoid playing a video game. It's going right. to make me sick. Like, I'm not going to play this 3D video game. Right. Whereas, and then all of a sudden, your phone gets all 3D, and now you're, like, right. kind of screwed. And that's that sucks. You know? it's But, I, you you know, you just turn it off. And yeah. I, well, it, yeah. You know? And I know that you can only turn off some of the effects right now. And there's some of the the zooming ones you can't. I just can't help but feel but by, that by, like, iOS 7.1 or something like that, there will be a setting in you know, accessibility or something like that, that turns off some of the zoomness, you know, when you go yeah, back to Yeah, but here's the thing. It's a funny, subtle distinction is that whenever you tapped an icon, the app always zoomed in on iOS. Yeah, but when the, you tap it on iOS 7, it zooms in from where the icon is on the screen. Right. Rather than from the center. Right. And for some reason, that triggers this... Uh, nausea this this motion sickness and yeah where and it's for me it's what i one of the things that makes ios 7 so much more pleasing to me like same here semantically yeah. because yes. it's I saying feel like i'm diving into things right? this app is zooming out to take the screen and when you go back the screen is going into that icon yes you know there's this more of this sense of place yes. It does even a crossfade, and it kind of is kind of nice. And yeah, I think it's more though than just the fact that it's not always from the center. Though I do think that it zooms more, and I think it zooms for longer a longer period of time, or at least or, or at least it seems like it does. Yeah, the animations definitely feel a little bit slower. Because I've uh, I've also yeah. heard from readers like when it when they first saw it in person, you know, like in the first day or two after it came out, some daring fireball yeah. readers who emailed in were like, "Is there a way to speed that up?" Because they're like. It's not that they're getting sick or anything. It's that they're 
so I don't know, probably they're all jazzed up on coffee, but that they're so, you know, intent on making it go as fast as possible that it drives them nuts that they're waiting for an animation that they see as a superfluous. Oh, sure. No, no, it's easy. Uh, just wait for 7.1 and they'll shave off yeah. <laughs> a split second on that. I mean, if you look at the animations from OS 10 over the course of history, uh, they just keep getting faster and faster. And, yeah. you know, they, I, I think 7.0 uh, introduces a, like a sort of a new visual language to things. So it's a bit, little bit sluggish. It, it, like the pinstripe sort of went over the top with the Acra stuff, the speed of the animations are slower because they're, I don't know, maybe they're prouder of them, that they want to show them off. They want, yeah. they want the experience there. Uh, when the novelty sort of wears off, that'll I'll get shaved down and probably get a lot faster. Yeah. I totally agree. Let me do the last sponsor, third, third and final sponsor of the show, and then we can, we can talk about whatever else is on your mind. All right. I want to talk to you about a longtime friend of the show our good friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. You get a free trial and 10% off your first purchase if you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALKSHOW10. TALKSHOW10. Uh, you can always tell with the Squarespace folks, you, know, you think, hey, where do they come up with these crazy codes? I'll tell you the secret, just between me and you. <laughs> the 10 is for the month and that way they test they can tell which uh, sponsorship spots came from which month so let's say you're all, like months ago you're like you're you're three months behind on the talk show and you plug in talk show seven well that's because you're listening to an episode from july that's just a little insider lingo for for me and you guy Thank you. Uh, thanks man what are they doing? They're constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They, I mean, they focus on support like no company I've ever heard of. Um, beautiful designs to choose from. You can tweak them. When you want to modify the layout of your page, you want to add which features they have to do it, you can do it all by drag and drop. You want to drop in and modify the code, you can do that too. But if you want to stick at the higher level and just move stuff around, drag it left, drag it right, drag it up and down, you can do that too. Really, really easy. Uh, they've won all sorts of awards. Um, they've won the Webbies. They've gotten an award from Forbes. All about ease of use and customer support. When's their customer support available? 24-7. 24-7. 24 hours, seven days a week. 70 Squarespace employees are on their customer care team, all of it based in New York City. Uh, and I, I, I think it's the key to their success. Go to squarespace.com. Find out more. If you need to make a website and you don't check out Squarespace, you're, you're, you're crazy, in my opinion. TalkShow10 is the code, and you will save, uh, I don't know, 10%. You will save 10%. That's exactly what you'll save. My thanks to Squarespace for their continuing support of the show. Great, great company, great sponsor. Probably wouldn't be here without Squarespace. What else you got on your list? Uh... Uh, whatever, a couple of things. Uh, Mac, I expect a Mac Pro by the end of the month. I'm just going to drop that without any comment. Uh, so Apple bought Q. C-U-E. -E. Because yeah. it's, you know, there's all sorts of ways you could botch yeah. that. So let's talk about that, and then let's end on what we're both really good at talking about and we're very knowledgeable about, which is Microsoft. Yeah. I'm a long-time Microsoft uh, 
expert. Devotee, if you will. So tell me, do you know Q? I never heard. I saw this. I didn't even link it from Daring Fireball because, not because I didn't think it was a big deal, but because I'd never even heard of them before. I had heard of Greplin and I had heard of Q. I had not checked them out. It was one of those things and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And then I just didn't really follow up on it. What it is, is um, effectively a service like what Google Now is in that it I don't. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a way to describe the category, but it's an aggregator. Uh, it's just going to sound cheesy. Well, the like way an, like an aggregator for your life is what I'm going to say. Yeah, like and I, the way I've heard it is that it's it's this is my layman's understanding, but that whatever it is that they bought them for, surely it's to help populate the today tab of notification center. That it's what's going on with you today, like now, where yeah. you are. So that's, yeah, that's what people have been saying. You think it's more I, than that? Well, yeah, wait, you think I, that's underselling I actually it? don't know if it's more than that. But um, there's, there's, getting these, there's becoming these weird ghettos in iOS. Um, we've got the Today tab. We've got the Siri interface. Uh, we've got, you know, your, your calendar. Uh, what else is there? There's other weird, like, little... Uh, I'm trying to come up with one. I, th- I thought I had one other, but I can't remember right now. Um, I Like, a lot of this stuff should be cross-functional, right? Yeah. Like, why is today different than what... Like, what's the difference between today and Siri? Well, Siri only comes up when you ask for the voice interface, right? Uh, yeah. It is sort of related, though. And Why? I feel like it looks more related. Well, I don't know. Because you know it's, like, like, it's an overlay. It's an overlay over... Take out Siri and call right. her Sarah, your personal assistant, or Sean, your personal assistant, to be... Pick a gender. Whatever. Um, wouldn't your personal assistant just be telling you what the hell you got to do today, and then you can just ask them a question, and they'll answer it? Yeah, I guess so. Like, why aren't these two the same thing? Why, like, shouldn't Siri, Sarah, Sean be surfacing information, like, to you, like like Google Now does? Right. Well, here's an example of that. And, and so I don't – I haven't seen this because I don't go anywhere. I wake up and just come downstairs and make coffee. Yeah. But uh, I just got an email. You know, there's a feature in, in iOS 7 where it's supposed to like – you know, it uses the M7 motion right. coprocessor and figures out where you go on a daily basis and when you do it. And uh, somebody who reads Daring Fireball just like, wow, this just happened to me today for the first time. Pretty impressive is that uh, – like Thursday afternoon, like four four forty five, you know, in the today tab, it it gave them like an estimate of the traffic to drive home. That it was oh. going to take longer than usual to drive home because there was traffic on the on the route that he usually drives. Um, which I oh. guess I remember being advertised as a feature, but I never really gave much thought to because a it doesn't really apply to me, but. I wasn't sure how it would work, and he was like, "I never did anything." I, I mean, I, you know, obviously he opted into the whatever, you know, asked permission for his location. But other than that, he didn't opt into it. And now, like when he goes to work, his today tab gives him like a traffic estimate. 
So I think that's pretty well, that's cool. That's kind of cool. That yeah. Is cool. And that yeah, is definitely. clearly that's the sort of cool thing too. Let's face it that Google has been a lot better at than anybody else. Yes. Apple, yeah. you know, Microsoft anybody. Google is is clearly leads the industry in that sort of uh combination, combination. of his, services and, and yeah, software. services yeah. and and your history online services that know what the state of the whole world is right now like that right. this certain road is backed up combined with the prediction of you know i think you're going to do this again because yeah. every in, in a funny way all of the things that make them creepy right. are their strengths right and you, you, you and i mean and i'm not even trying to be like a jerk about that it like it cuts both ways do you know what i mean right like oh they know exactly where you're up to and where you're going and your eta Right, that alone isn't creepy. It's you know what can be creepy about them, in my opinion, is what they do with it and how far they go with it and what you know. Well, it's when and when it's like you know what you got a thirty minute drive home. There's a roadblock here. Why don't you stop up at this restaurant and have your favorite burger? Right. Here's here's a five dollar discount. Right. That gets a little bit weird, you know. Like right. When they yeah, but so I you know I don't know. I, to me, what this says that they bought Q isn't so much that they want to do Google Now. Of course they want to do like a Google Now kind of thing. What it says to me is that they haven't got one going yet. Hmm. Or at least that they need to augment it, right? Like if they were well down the the road to to getting this done, they wouldn't necessarily need to buy Q. Yeah, possibly. You know, I mean, and let's face it, Siri was the exact same type of acquisition. I mean, Siri didn't even change names. They actually, I mean, which is one of the... Most unusual marketing decisions. I mean, I'm not even saying it's apparently, not a Apparently, great name. Steve wanted to change the name. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know. And that. I wish I could find a source for that. It could have been the Isaacson book. Huh. I don't remember that from the book, but I, I believe They it. couldn't come up with anything better, so ah. they just stuck with Siri. Hmm. Hmm. Like it was going to be something cold, like personal assistant. Yeah. And they just, they, they ended up bailing. But, you know, Siri was just a, a startup that they acquired. Siri used to yep. be an app in the App Store. Yep. Anyway, interesting stuff. So, uh, you know, let's get, you know, let's finally settle on what we're good at talking about. Microsoft. Yeah. How do you like that bomber farewell? You know, it, I feel like it, it's, it, it was perfect for him. And, you know, it divided everybody. It's a good way of putting it. Perfect for him. It yeah. was a perfect Steve Ballmer goodbye. Uh, and for those of you who didn't watch it, if you skip the video, you should go look it up. Because it's worth watching. It's only four minutes long. But A, it just shows all sorts of things that I think are unique to Microsoft. Like the fact that they have a company meeting every year in a 14,000-seat basketball arena, you know, is crazy. I mean, you know, Apple's got lots of employees like that, but they never rent out the, you know, like the place where the San Jose Sharks play and have them all meet there at once for like a effectively a pep rally. And I'm in not even way, putting I, – I put it down because, you know what, I, I wouldn't do that. But, I mean, you know, for some people go for that. Microsoft's always gone for things like that. Yeah. I mean, believe me, that is not my style. There, would, this is not know, what I would be doing. People but always, in a way – People always accuse Apple of being more cult-like or religion-like or whatever. But in my experience, people who work at Apple are the opposite of that. People who work at Apple, they, yeah. they may love Apple and they may love the products, but they're not – they don't have a fervor about it. Or, I agree. You know the the story I remember. I hate to cut I, you off. Yeah. Remember, no, no. remember your thought. Do you have your thought in mind? The, the, uh, the story I remember was from way back, 
and this was back at the uh, when Microsoft. Let's face it; they they screwed IBM over on the next generation operating system. Where what was it? Yeah, uh, I was I was an OS two fan. <laughs> yeah, OS two. So I was all in on OS two, and they got. All right, so you know more than Take I do. Long yeah. story short, though, uh, OS two is was the, supposed to be like a joint product of Microsoft and IBM, mostly IBM, but Microsoft would back it, and they'd write apps for it, and they'd port Office and Excel and everything to it, and then you know that Microsoft was, it worked. They had a joint team working on the OS. Right. What the the file system for OS two ended up being converted into NTFS. But secretly behind the scenes, they kept working on Windows. And, uh, they had their own kernel that they right. dropped in underneath the OS2 kernel. Yeah. And, and, and it was, it was secretly behind the scenes. They made NT right. while IBM was working on OS2 and Microsoft was working on OS2. Right. And they had no real intention of ever porting Word and Excel to OS2. And, uh, and just kind of, and, but I remember reading a story. It's, it's politically murky, but yeah, basically yeah. they, they, you know, they shift them. I remember reading, and I, you know, I could be misremembering details. I should Google this, I guess, before the show goes live. Yeah, but it was something, but they had like a big, one of these big company meetings with like 10, 20,000 Microsoft employees at once. And they like drove out like a, like a jalopy that said OS2. And and everybody booed, and then they drove out like a cool looking car that said Windows, and everybody cheered. Oh yeah, yeah. this was after the falling out, right? Yeah. After yeah. the falling out became public, and it was just you know, yes, yeah. yeah. And it just seemed vaguely dangerous. It always seemed to rub me the wrong way that it was dangerously close to like a book burning. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, that's. That's horrible. You know, like, I, I, so I, Apple, used to, I used to work at a, just this is totally in the side. I used to work at a used bookstore, and every now and then we'd buy, like, you know, we would buy books from people who were selling them to resell. And, you know, eventually we'd have, like, five copies of some romance novel. And, like, three of them would have to go in the trash. And I could never actually throw them out in the trash. I would just take the big box that I was, like, tasked with throwing out, and I would sit them next to the recycling bin. Because I couldn't bring myself to actually just destroy the books. <laughs> it just always seemed wrong. I remember working. I, I didn't work at a bookstore, about it. Mm. but I worked at like a drugstore chain that had you know that sold like mass market books, and uh, you used to have to you had to tear the cover off for the yeah. paperbacks, and they even used to print. I they probably still do it where they say if you bought this book without a cover, you've bought an illegal book. You know that yeah. you, you you would tear the cover off. And send those covers back to the publisher as proof that you didn't sell those books. But in the meantime, yeah, you were just expected to like shred the books, and it always. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I was like, "Fuck that!" I'm like, you know, uh, whatever. Just, so anyway, there's just too much history behind book burning to I, yeah, ever I'm get not, behind I'm it. Even like you right. said, even if it's just like a a, a a totally apolitical, just a pulp romance, yeah. or a, a detective thriller. Just like just utter. This is something I have in me. I am not right. putting books in the garbage. I am not. I, I won't be doing it. Yeah. Which is weird, but whatever. But yeah. Anyway, back to your point. Yes, it, they've got a weird company culture. Um. What I found striking about this Balmer farewell is like he was at his Balmer best, where he's like sort of weepy and screaming and fist pumping the air, sweaty, sweaty. Let's face it. It's sort of. I mean, hey, even if you love, even if you love the guy, you got to admit the guy has a history of sweating. Yes, that's his style. 
What I, what I found interesting, but this sort of took a bit of the sting away from that developers, developers, developers thing yeah. for me, though, in that when I watched that, I just thought he was on a coke-fueled... <laughs> I literally thought he was just coked out of his mind and just whatever. Like, maybe he doesn't like public speaking, does a couple, like, does a line or two before he gets out there and just... And this is, again, this is just interpretation of, like, his excitement. It had nothing to do with anything else. But this was like, no, he's just a legitimately very emotional kind of guy. Did he, And you know what? Did you notice the person that just screamed out, we love you, yeah. from the audience? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I would not be screaming that at my CEO. But it felt, it fit right in. But it in felt though. natural. Right. It really did. And And I... So that little farewell thing to me was like, a, okay, this is weird. This is not my culture, but they've got a culture there that this is their thing, and it's, yeah. it's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, and the Verge, I think, might be. I don't even know how they got the ex- quote unquote exclusive video to it at first. Uh, they they asked around, and they, yeah. uh, but they had yeah, the they video strings. and their yeah. their description of it. And who knows? Maybe it's partly because they pulled some strings and got it from Microsoft, and so they you know had to frame it positively. But they really made it seem like it was like like everybody's got to love this video. Whereas a couple of readers, after I linked to it, wrote to me and they were like, "Look, I you know I don't really even care that much about Microsoft. I got to tell you that video made me uncomfortable. And if I was there, I would have been oh, I was totally uncomfortable. I would have been really uncomfortable. Like I can't believe that nobody is mentioning just how kind of uncomfortable this is. And I was like, "Oh, I'm right there with you. It's you know, yeah. I don't think that they were." I don't know who – I think maybe Neil I got it. I, I don't think right. he was passing it off as uh, this is just amazing and great. Right. And isn't it? I, I think it was more like a, you got to love these guys. Right. Well, and, you, know, you, know, you know what I mean? There's a distinction there being like I was uncomfortable, but at the same time I was like, well, everybody in this room seems kind of into this. Yeah. Well, uh, and it was It's not Walmart. for me, but I mean that's a lot of people that are kind of into this. And it was definitely his style. Yeah, yeah, he went out like he, you know, went out like he lived. So, <laughs> I, he definitely, you know, he got hooked off stage though. There's some weird stuff going on there. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, who knows if anything will come with it? But it wasn't. It's not like it was reported in a crackpot publication. I think it was Bloomberg where they said that there's a yeah. group that controls like five percent, three to five percent of Microsoft shares, who want Bill Gates to step down as chairman. It's exactly my next thing. Uh, so it was three out of – I believe it was three out of the top 20 investors, which is right. such a weird thing to say because that's a pretty big range. Right. You know what I mean? Like what well, is it like number five, number 18, and well, number 20? And like, the, big, the big question is, is are they just the three who are willing to put their names out in public right, right now and do it? Do they speak for a larger number of the – the institutional investors, you know, normal people like us, if we, you and I go out tomorrow and, and log into our E-Trade accounts and, you know, to spend a couple hundred or thousand dollars on Microsoft stock, well, we don't give it, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. What matters are the big investors, the institutional ones, pension funds right. and hedge funds and, and things like that. Somebody who controls, even if it's just 1%, if you control 1%, it's, you know, you're talking, you know. Serious money. Yeah, yeah. like a billion dollars. Uh, yeah. Then you have a say in the matter, you know, and how many, how many, is, is this just a small group and that's it and it's just going to float away or is there a serious contingent of institutional Microsoft investors who want, you know, effectively the, uh, not just Balmer gone, but they want the board gone, including Gates. Okay. So let's just back up a bit and just 
because we're running long, but let's play this back uh, sort of chronologically. Uh, when did it get stepped down? Like 15 years ago type thing? It was sort of gradual. Uh, yeah. But whatever. Was, like it was a while ago. 15 years ago might have been too long, though. I think it was more about, like about 10 years ago. Okay. But let, I don't know. Uh, following that, stock price effectively stagnates. Yeah. Microsoft fails to get into mobile does get into consoles, but doesn't really make a shitload of money off that. Um, Windows starts to stagnate as tablets come up. Like, they yeah. missed that wave, too. Um, I'll tell you when it was. I looked it up. January 2000. So we're about halfway right. Okay. About yeah. 13 years. Not, you know, but you were a little bit closer to me. So closer to Yeah, 15. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was about to call you out on no, splitting the difference, it but I was like... I'm on his show. I'm just. I'm going to be polite. I'm not going to rub it in his face that I was closer than because you. Because we're two months away from it being 14 years, so we'll call right. it halfway between 10 right. and 15. <laughs> no, and you know, and and well, what happened pretty quickly? I mean, here's a quick example, and who knows what would have happened differently if he'd stayed and been in. You know, if he didn't, if he wanted to have stayed. But a, a perfect example is XP. XP is probably the. I think everybody might agree it was the most successful version of Windows ever. That at the time it came out, yep. it was popular and it remained popular, but they got it's not stuck my favorite, on. But it's certainly the most successful, right? And you know, and it was a long time before the next one came out, which was Vista. Vista and when the Vista did come out, people didn't like it and they stuck with XP. So yeah, Vista was a disaster. And in fact, Bomber mentioned right. uh, in the early two thousands the failure of focusing on Vista made them miss a right. bunch of other opportunities because effectively they wrote two Vistas. They wrote Longhorn, right. which had this crazy file system and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then they ended up having to back off a bunch of that and then ship what was Vista, right. which is kind of this half-assed. We got to ship something. Holy shit, it's been five, five yeah. or six years. It was like, a, you know, right. we now have 12 to 18 months to get something out the door or we just look like total idiots. Right. It was more or less like, okay, none of this, we we're not, we haven't shipped any of this stuff from Longhorn. Here's some invisible windows or, you know, right. translucent windows. Yeah. Like way, way overdone blur effect. Right. That's probably the same blur effect. that's in iOS seven right now. Probably. I'm sure there's somebody up in Redmond who, you know, when at the day that iOS seven was unveiled and everybody was, uh, wow! Look at that cool blur. Like the guy who like wrote the blur for yeah. Vista is. Would well, you like, think it was like a fist pump or a face pump? I think it was like a pour out of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> like this is why Daddy drinks. <laughs> right? Probably because it was like the exact same people who like in 2007 when Vista shipped, they were like, "What the fuck is this, this right? blur shit? <laughs> why are you wasting my time with this?" And now they're like, wow, like now notification later, center later. blurs the background. <laughs> Poor bastards. Right. Um, stock stagnates. Uh, they end up losing well-known executives left, right, and center over the past couple of years. Right. Jay Allard, uh, Sanofsky. Um, um, what's his name? Ray Ozzy. Ray, oh, God, yeah. Ray Ozzy. Right. Who they brought in to sort of rejuvenate the technologist side of the company and then right. left like what three to five years after he got in like right wasn't long enough tenure to really make his mark you know what i mean right um just recently uh announced a total reorg to fit the apple model right which is weird because that's a model that 
apparently, like only Apple does. Seemingly, for at least for companies of that size, where you know there's only one yeah. marketing division. You know, Phil Schiller is in charge of marketing for Apple. Not there is no yeah. separate Mac marketing manager. Right. There's no separate iPhone marketing manager. Right. You know, there's one yeah. marketing team, and now yeah. there's one OS yeah. engineer. Like the iOS marketing group does not fight with the Mac marketing right. group to figure out who gets the ad. It's like just it's right. Not even up for debate. Um. Well, there may be a debate, but it's a debate within one team. Right. Yeah. Sorry, it's not up to right. butting heads and rutting like uh, whatever the hell that expression is. Um, but Apple will arguably grew into it organically. Well, well, I, I mean, maybe yeah, Steve, because maybe they've Steve always been like that. No, they were up, always but, like that. Always. Yeah. I mean, and 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 you know, and and at least always dating back to nineteen ninety seven. Right. I mean, right. let's just say that, you know, that Apple effectively truly got the, you know, if they ever had yeah, a real if, if you give, if you give, if you see 97 as like a reboot switch, then yeah. The, and the problem with Apple, Institute, you know, in terms of organization wise, before Steve Jobs came back in 97, wasn't really that they were set up in divisions. It's just that they were, they were just a mess. I mean, it right. wasn't really like Microsoft where they had separate that the Newton group was separate from app from the Mac group, even though they were, and that was part of the problem, but it was really right. just more that they were a mess and didn't have, you know, they were just disorganized, disorganized rather than how they were organized. Yes. That's yeah. That's a, that's a good distinction. Uh, so whatever it announces a total reorg and then what, like a couple of months later, one month, Obama gets the boot. Yeah. That's uh it looks That's bad. Weird. It makes it, it makes you wonder just how nervous and desperate they are behind the scenes because you wouldn't do that. Yeah. Right? No, you, it doesn't theory. make any sense. If you're going to give Obama the boot, you give him the boot before he does a reorg and you let the new guy do it. Right. And how did he – how did they let him go – you know, clearly I, the reorg, you know, I don't know how much – how and, and actually, when. yeah, how much is that? It's just paperwork, right? Yeah, how much how like, much within does Within six seat- months, you will change your organization to be blah and then – it's, it hasn't actually changed, and you just can the guy that said it, and you can just cancel all the paperwork without actually reassigning people to different. Right. I mean, it's, so Balmer had been CEO for thirteen years, and he had been at the company as a, a, a C, you know right hand man to Gates all along. So he'd been there since the company was you know thirteen Found or fourteen. Yeah, yeah, like you know thirteen or fourteen people. I mean, I don't know what employee number he is, but it's you yeah. know, probably double digits. Um. I don't think that uh, you know. It, one thing I don't think Steve Ballmer was lacking in, or even still is, probably is confidence. You know, but so how much does a CEO uh, who's been there for all along? He's been CEO for thirteen years. Clearly, a pretty confident guy. How much does he have to run by the board before he gets through? Well, I would guess something like a reorg is something he has to go to the board and say, "Here's what I want to do." I don't think that he can announce a company wide reorganization without going to the board first. But there is some kind of weird dynamic there where he went to the board, uh, presumably, and got the okay for it. But at the same right. time, the board must have already been thinking, we want to ask this guy to step down. And it seems weird that they didn't you know, say, hey, we got let's slow down on the, the reorg for a second. We want to talk to you about something. Right. I don't understand how this – there is I, – I can't see a scenario where this is good for Microsoft. Maybe maybe he just did the rework without talking to the board. 
I don't know, but I, you know, Maybe, I, like that—that kind of makes a bit of sense. Like it's like, okay, you just reorg this, and we don't I, publicly want to shame you I, or us, so you're gone. I, but I, even I, that seems crazy. You know? I hate to make sports analogies, whereby I mean, I love to make sports analogies, right. but it's to me, it's like a team that's so in trouble. And sure. the coach announces, here's our new playbook for next year. And sure. We've, so we've, it's the third quarter of the 14th season. And we've, <laughs> we're going to get these, we're going to set the whole team up to fit this playbook that's new. It's a totally different style of play than what, it doesn't even matter what sport you're talking about, but a totally different style of play. We're going to switch to it and we're going to set the whole thing up. We're going to get all the players, we're going to get players who fit this new style of play. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to be here next year. We're going to get a new coach. And now you come in, but we've already shuffled the team and reorganized the team. Yeah, that to me just—I I wrote a bit about that. It right. was—you you don't get to set the play. To—I'm I'm desperately going to try to follow your analogy. Right. You don't get to set up the play and then just walk away from the field and right. let just, let somebody else like deal with the consequences. It just seems one hundred percent backwards that you really want to pick the yeah. leader first and let the leader set the organizational structure. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, here's the structure. I'm going to wipe my hands of this, and I'm walking away. Good luck with that. That's just crazy. And even Bomber in his um, – I believe it was – I'm trying to remember the uh, the email. Wasn't it long and rambling and, like, kind yeah, of really poorly written and, like, not a – Well, except – It seemed like it needed three paragraphs, frankly. And it was except like for up front 12. where I thought, I thought he was unusually um, honest about the fact that he, you know – he didn't think that, you know, now would not have been the time he would have picked. That's the bit I was going to comment on. He he comes out and says that he wanted to do it later, right. at least halfway through the transition, which even that's weird, but whatever. But right at the beginning, it's just weird. Anyway, and now we're hearing that Bill Gates is, is facing pressure to step right. away from the board. How is this not a company that's in chaos like there's i can't as much ink as is spent talking about apple i think microsoft is the most interesting story in tech these days yeah because there's more drama i mean i think that yeah. apple and i don't mean that is in a salacious way right i mean that in a like this is a technological powerhouse with a lot of talent that is clearly in turmoil and well, we don't know what we honestly don't know what's going to happen the other big tell and this is the sort of thing where, because I don't follow Microsoft as closely, I never even heard of the guy before. But back in April of this year, Microsoft's CFO, Peter Klein, announced his resignation because he wanted to – literally, this is the explanation that he wanted to spend more time with his family, <laughs> which is you know, is sort of PR speak for I'm not going to tell you why I'm leaving. could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. But M.G. Siegler it was the first one I remember. It was when the Balmer resignation was announced where he was like, you know, who's the first one – to know, like, and you know, a typical MG oh, fashion Jesus. spun it with a like a TV or movie reference, but to know when winter is coming to you know sort of call out Game of Thrones. Uh, MG has a he's got better up his sleeve than that. Yeah, but uh, you know what he means, though. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. Thing. it totally works. It's, it totally, totally. See, totally that's works. the thing. He's, I know people give MG a hard time about his movie and TV references, but he uses them in a way where it saves a lot of words. 
And you know what? No, no, he no. Means. I, no, no. I like him, and I like his references. I just think he's like who knows. That's a bit, it's a bit of a shallow beach, to go right? For like the, the Thrones, CFO you know? is the one who knows when bad news is coming six right. months, nine months from now. Like, kind of sees which way the wind is blowing, and publicly, yeah. they only talk about what they just did in the in the last quarter, and they give guidance for the next quarter. Well, but, I don't think that. I mean, I, I think that's like legally right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah I think it is legally limited yeah. in what they can say. But right? behind yeah. the scenes, he might have a better idea of what's going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I and and they can say all they want that they're, you know, uh, not worried about the post PC effect on PC sales. But I mean, it's been a long time since PC sales have grown quarter to quarter. They're shrinking and it it's the sort of um I've but overused what- this analogy. It's the the Hemingway description of what it, how, how do you go bankrupt? And it's, you go bankrupt two ways, slowly then quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, that the, the pop in, in windows licensing sales could happen very quickly. And it seems like before it would get dramatically bad, what you would see is exactly what you've seen over the last year or two where it gets slowly bad. So do you think that's what's happening at Microsoft? Is it, it's, uh, they're, executive level and their most informed investors see the writing on the wall? That's exactly what I think is happening. I think the most informed investors, uh, I think that the reason the reorg was made in a way that I think it was contrary to Microsoft's, you know, the way that they've been for 20 years and following who else Apple is about Mm -hmm. that writing on the wall. Like we don't know what else to try, but to try this because that seems to be working for somebody. And I think with the investors, what they see is, the only good thing about this company over the last 10 years has been the revenue they've had from the the institutions of Windows on PCs and office sales on top of those PCs and enterprise service money, all sorts, whatever else you want to file under that. But all of that is going based on people sitting at desks using Windows right. PCs, right? I mean, so right. yeah, it's more complicated. The, cli- the client side's getting eroded by right. iOS it, or Macs or right. hell, whatever, even right. Chromebooks, whatever you want to say. So, and the services side is getting eroded by Google. Like, I totally understand that it is Microsoft's revenue and profit centers are way more complicated than it used to be where you really could just say it's all just Windows and Office. And right. it's, it, I, I totally understand that it's more complicated than that now. But I still think that all the stuff that makes it more complicated than that is still sitting on top of Windows on PCs. And I think that there's a lot of people who see that the bottom is just going to drop out on that. And I think that it's not that they necessarily think, that, hey, the existing team can't possibly – be the ones who who write this. I think it's more or less, but we've given them enough time and they've what they've dropped the ball enough times that we're going to make a change. So should Gates go? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't, it, it's hard for me to say, cause I don't really know. I really have no idea how involved he is. Well, I do know that he's been a big supporter of Bonner. Right. Like he's always had his back kind of thing. Right. So maybe it's one of those like, well, Bonner's clearly led us into these woods and it happened on Gates' While watch. We're, yeah, right. it's like now we're looking for a new CEO. We don't want Gates to be the one to pick the next CEO because he's right. going to pick the same thing that he did with the last guy. Or he's the one who let Balmer stay as long as he did. Exactly, yeah. Right. But I, frankly, I can't imagine Microsoft without either Balmer or Gates. It seems it very It blows my mind. And they're, they're talking about getting, the what, the CEO from Ford to run Microsoft? Yeah. Does that remind you of anything? 
like a Pepsi CAO? <laughs> yeah, right. Selling sugar water. Right. It just does not seem to me that they need somebody from outside tech, you know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they need. What do you think they need? I, You know, I'm tempted to say like Jay Allard or like even Sanofsky or something like comes back. But I mean, that's because those are names that I know. You know who I like is the guy that does all the presentations for the uh, for the surface. Oh, man. What's his name? Oh, I know who you mean. Uh, the one guy that doesn't blow it on stage. He does a great job. Yeah. Well, I forget his name. But I'm sure that's mostly just because I'm thinking of his stage presence rather than his ability to manage anything day to day. Oh, man. I wish I knew that guy's name. I'm going to look it up. So, yeah. What do you think they need? I wonder. I wonder if there's anything that they can do to stay relevant as the type of company that we talk about on shows like this and that we write about on our blogs. Like, you know, to me, the easiest out is and and to make investors happy and keep the stock float is to go the IBM route where you just sort of yeah. become a consulting company. And there's all sorts of money to be made in the enterprise. And they still have, you know, all sorts of people in the enterprise who know and trust Microsoft products. But to sort of fade fade from view as a consumer tech company. Right? When is IBM when's the last time IBM has done anything that you or I have taken note of? I I, I can't remember. But um, IBM remains one of the most successful, profitable and success you know, their stock is successful, their profits are high, their revenue is high. Panos Pane is the Microsoft yes. guy's name. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, last time I paid attention to IBM was, uh, I don't know, OS2 Warp 4, maybe? I mean, that's, so like, that's a long fucking, time ago. Like 20 years ago? Yeah. Right. I would say it was probably, for me, the last time I remember paying attention to them was when they still owned the ThinkPad brand and still made. Oh, yeah. But it's been a long time. I didn't care about them then. I, I, I was already way in right, the territory the, by that point. You know? I just, you know, and I was, wasn't like I was b- buying ThinkPads, but I always thought, and no, I still think. They, it was good degree, quality hardware and they sold it to Lenovo. Right. I still think in general, like when I've seen them and, you know, just typed on them or whatever, they, I still think Lenovo makes good laptops. That if I had to yeah. use a laptop other than a MacBook, I'd probably get a Lenovo if I had to just pick a brand. But. But you know, IBM's been out of that game for a while. But I that sort of route of you know, sort of getting away from consumer technology and off this train of of chasing this is you know one solution I could think of. And I can't help but think too that if they were to hire the Ford guy, that that's what they're talking about. You know, yeah. that he would yeah. be to Microsoft what Lou Gerstner was to IBM. Yeah. Lou Gerstner was in, is interesting though, right? I mean, that company was tanking, mm. and he fired for the first time in their history. He laid off and fired a bunch of people. I'm not like I said. I'm not Brutal even saying style. it's the wrong but, the wrong way to go. But for the enthusiasts, the people like oh, yeah. uh, who read The Verge and really like Microsoft products, the people who read Paul Thoreau's oh, site, yeah. yeah, people like you and I will not find. I, right. I mean, it would I be can't heartbreaking. The last time them. we, I, do you know the name of an IBM executive? I don't. No. Yeah, I don't know. You know. Right. And it, you know, but I could see them going. I do there. know the, you know, I know the Blackberry guys chew the way through restraints on airliners. Right. That's at least, you know, you're going out <laughs> in style. <laughs> you're going down fighting at that point. Now, know? on the other hand, though, at, at least at this point with the current board and leadership, it certainly doesn't seem like Microsoft's ex- current leadership, even with Balmer on the way out, is thinking in that way. Like, there's because no, if they were, there's no way they would be, t- you know, trying to acquire Nokia's handset business. 
it's, you know, Microsoft as it stands today wants to fight. They want to, I think you know, so. they want to get ahead of Android in market share and they want to uh, compete or get ahead of Apple right. in terms of, you know, popularity so and branding and One of the creepiest design. things about that, that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but one of the creepiest things about that Balmer video was the signage in the background, uh, like above this, the, the sort of the first row of seats. Did, did you notice it? No, I don't think so. Uh, so it's all blue, and it's but it's like a banner ad for, and it says Microsoft colon can't hold us, which is this weirdly defensive. I don't need like there's a like there's a weird psychology to that, right? Like it's we're getting picked on, but we're not gonna yeah we're not gonna stop. We're gonna keep fighting. It's a keep fighting sort of message, right? Can't hold us. It implies that somebody's trying to hold you down and yeah. that they're not going to succeed. And it's a, that's a weird mentality to be sticking on a banner. Phil? Microsoft, start your copy, photocopiers. That's – it's funny, right? It's, it's a rivalry thing. Can't hold us? That's like, I don't know, somebody – some poor old nerd getting held down and like having a fit. All right. Failure doesn't sit right with anybody. I mean, no, of course and, not. and maybe failure is, well, in some regards, some of the products they've done recently, which I think that they were totally serious and put a lot of wood behind the arrows, yeah. you know, like Surface, I, I, I know, I think it is fair to describe Surface as a failure. Windows phone. You know, you know what's funny? I was on the show with you right after the announced the Surface things, and we both liked the Surface RT better than the Surface. Oh, totally. Still and do. It, yeah, me too. And it tanked. But... Yeah. In our defense, I think we both wanted to call it the Metro tablet or something. Yeah. Just call it something else and ditch the Windows stuff. Yeah, exactly. I still think – I think the biggest problem with the whole Surface 2 thing is that they've stuck with the the dual – You know, I don't understand that. I don't I don't get it. I think that – Honestly, I would have rather have killed the, the ARM version, like the RT version. Or just kill I, – I would have preferred that they stick with the ARM and RT version. Uh, As a product, I like that better. Right. As but, an outcome, given the previous generation, you just pick one or the other. Right. I, which is I, what we were saying the last time. Even just if pick they, one or the other. Even yeah. if they just took two of them, threw them up in the air, and whichever one the glass didn't break, well, that's right. the one we'll pick. I mean, flip a coin, but just put yeah. put all of your wood behind one of those arrows. Yeah. Cause, and I can't believe, too, that uh, that I could see how they launched a year ago with both because I wanted to keep them secret so they didn't talk to people about it. But then after yeah. they came out – and how much palpable confusion there was over what the hell the difference between them and if you're even vaguely interested in one, which one should you buy, that they didn't realize, oh, man, we really screwed this up because people have no idea what the difference is between right. these two things, even though the difference is actually pretty significant. I can't well, you believe – what? They do that to themselves because they name everything Windows. Right. And they named both these things Surface even though they're very different. They gave them like almost identical names and that they run – literally run different operating systems that look the same. I could almost forgive that if it was like Surface Metro and Surface Windows. Right. I don't you know what I mean. Even that's a bit confusing, right. but at least you're describing the device and then the OS is running. Right. Anyway, I but, don't know. You know, I mean, maybe Windows Phone, maybe failure is a bad word for that. It's, it's having trouble getting traction, but it's not zero. And it's, you know, I, I, it seems like it's at least growing a little bit, you know. Uh, it's doing better than uh, BlackBerry is. Right, definitely. Yeah. Did you uh, ever play with that Z10? 
I did. And? Uh, I, th I really thought the software was a total mess. I thought the hardware was pretty interesting. They did a pretty good job. Uh, and the software was, it's so bad that I, I really can't. So the, the apps, the apps stink. The software stack is pretty decent. It's by it which, just by which you mean like, oh yeah, right. no, it's definitely not fully baked. But if you, let's say you go to the camera app and then you swipe up to sort of get into the tasks richer. Uh, so it moves into basically like a card, like sort of a web OS card, the camera. And as you're panning around, the camera is still active, even though it's like shrunk down into a card. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like it's, we, it's it's live updating while you're switching apps. Right. We talked about which, it a while ago. I mean, it's you know, yeah. it, it's what you think from uh, what do you call it? What's the uh, the OS? QNX. Yeah, QNX. Yeah. It, you know, it, it it's very serious computer science underneath. And yeah, yeah, they've got so, a good stack and an awful implementation of any kind of apps. Yeah, and and the you know, there's some conceptual stuff that you know, like going left to get the all messages view, which just shows like a universal inbox of everything. Yeah. But it's not really an app. It's just you've gone left, and now here's all your messages. It just seems like some kind. It's of It's one of those things that where they're wedded to this idea that a uh, BlackBerry device is all about being a communicator first. Right. A messaging app first. Right. Yeah. So how do you do that? Well, from anywhere, you just go left and you've got this right. weird mixed inbox where you can do some stuff and you can't do some other stuff. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Sad. It's, if they would have come out with it two years ago, who knows, you know, three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but something for this year is too little, too late. Oh, yeah. No. I, I think they had they have the pieces. They just can't. They couldn't figure out how to stick them together in time and they're, they're gone now. Yeah. What's your advice for Microsoft? Um. I think Microsoft did incredible. I think Microsoft is a success story. I think they won. Uh, if you look at the original mission statement, it was what, like a PC on every desk in every home? Right. Uh, they've succeeded. They wildly succeeded, and then they didn't know what to do next. Uh, I think they need to figure out what to do next. Uh, I think they missed, you know, they, they totally sort of flubbed it guess what pc in every pocket so they've missed that i think they need somebody with a good vision to try to figure out what the next over the top goal is that they can try to aim for because i think they have the talent to you know to, to build towards that and they've certainly got the weird given that video they've got the crazy cultish passion to get there yeah um i just think they need to know what that is, I, I think, don't know. I don't I, know what that is. But. I, I think if they if they wanted my ten seconds of consulting advice, I would tell them. I think that they need to be focused on who their who the competitor that's really hurt them is. And to me, it's Google, not Apple. Not that Apple's success hasn't been somewhat at their expense, but that it's orthogonal, and they're never going to be Apple. And the things that Apple is best so, at, they're never going to be good at. But why do you say Google? Because they undercut. They basically commoditized operating systems. They commoditized operating systems, and they're commoditizing uh, office type applications with Docs and stuff like that. And that you know that they've got like institutions like schools that are. Buying based on something other than design and the quality of just how nice the stuff is, they've got them using you know Google, get get all the kids on Google Docs. Uh, yeah, but I disagree with you on that because what can they do? Okay, so you focus on Google. What are you going to do? Give everything away for free? That doesn't suit their business model. You know, like I don't think they need to be figuring out. Google has gutted their business. They need a new business. 
Do you know what I think? I think the biggest mistake Microsoft made in the last ten years, honestly, and I, it, I've I think I've mentioned this before, but not for a while. I think the biggest mistake they made was that somewhere around two thousand eight or so, they should have focused on uh, shipping versions of Internet Explorer for Windows that blocked all advertising, any and all advertising by default. Just to cut the air off yeah. from Google, because that was the way Microsoft. I think 2008 is late, but yeah, maybe I would I would agree with that. And, and you know what? And, Frankly, may well have found themselves back in court. Yep, and you know what? And and in the old days when that happened, then they'd find then themselves they would just in go court, to court and they'd fight it. And by the time, even if they lost, by the time they wouldn't have mattered. Wouldn't have yeah. mattered because Google would have been dried up or something like that. But the time they needed to cut off the advertising to Google because all that was the thing that I think galls Microsoft the most yeah. is that Google 2004 made, to, th- to 2006, I think right. is a window where they could have really just crushed that, that almost all of this money that made Google, what Google is today came from people using windows PCs and that they, you know, and I think a lot of them are using, most of them are using IE and they could have just said, and they couldn't, they, they wouldn't have had to come out and say, we're going to block Google ads. They should have said, you know what, as a great new feature, you know, ad blocker, right? It's ad blocker built into IE. It's on by default, and it saves you know twenty percent of your battery life every time you visit a web page. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe at this point in time, it is too late. I don't know how you compete. It is. Yeah. It's just for the record. I don't run ad blockers. I don't believe in that shit. I don't have an ad blocker. Yeah. I don't but have I flash do, I do think that that would have really crippled Google. Yeah. Well, that was the old yeah. Microsoft. You know, they was yeah. always, you know, it was notorious. They cut off the air supply. Well, what was the air supply right. to Google? It was ads being shown to users of Internet Explorer on Windows. Yeah. I think that would have been the right business. I, I think I probably would have been pretty pissed at them for that. Yeah. But. Would have been the right move. And that, here's what happens yeah. when they let somebody grow like that. It is, you know, and I do think, I, I think a lot of people get confused by it because everybody wants to pit Android against iOS and they talk about market share and blah, blah, blah. But the thing that Android really has hurt is it's hurt the whole idea of a licensed operating system that you sell for money. Because now the yep. idea is what's the price to get a totally professional, robust, modern operating system for a computing device? Zero. I'm not sure that's entirely fair because I think Microsoft fucked that up first. Because... Microsoft did charge for Windows, but they had these crazy deals where even if you didn't ship Windows on your PC, you would pay for Windows anyway. Yeah. Y- you know what? You got to get uh, Guess Aid. Get uh, JLG on the show. Yeah, I should. You really should. Uh, you, you're, punching, you're punching low, getting yeah. idiots like me and Maltz on the show. Uh, Who? Maltz. Oh, yeah, the, he was the, on the show. He was on the show. I forgot. Yeah. Well, he's the regular host, right? I always forget. Yeah, you're just guesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if Moltz listens to any other weeks. I hope not. I bet he doesn't. He's got better shit to do than this. Um, Let's wrap it up. What do, you, what do you think Microsoft should do? Wait, wait let me finish the point with JLG. Uh, Microsoft at one point commanded such power in the PC industry that it could force PC manufacturers to give it money, even if they didn't ship windows. Right. That, that was PC. the terms. Right. And that was the terms that effectively crippled BOS. Right. And ended, you know, that that's why I'm saying you should talk to, to guess a, right. Cause I, I, let's make up the numbers, but it was something like if you agreed to the good contract with Microsoft, let's say you run Dell yeah. and somebody else runs compact. 
the good contract says every PC you sell, you give Microsoft $50 for a license for Windows. And that it right. doesn't say every PC with Windows, every PC. Right. You give Microsoft 50 bucks. Or if you just want to pay per copy of Windows, well, that'll cost you $150 yeah. per PC. Yeah. And so it's it, tripling. Right. Tripling. And then, because yeah. then, then if you agree to the one that's only $50, but it's for every PC, and me, my PC company, we take the other one because we only want to pay four actual windows that we use and we might want to ship some of our PCs with Linux or with B or whatever other OS. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, you know, call Apple and see if we can get Apple to license us a copy for Intel, you know, right. in theory. Uh, we're a hundred dollars behind on every single windows PC we sell, which is right now our bread and butter on a quarterly yeah. basis. And a hundred dollars per, per PC was on ten, You know, you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. afford that kind of thing. So everybody agreed to the other one. Right. Which well, meant- well, that definitely crippled BOS. Right. And while I don't believe, I was using it at the time, but uh, Linux and FreeBSD and all of that on the desktop were not there yet. You were using B? Uh, I no, I used uh, FreeBSD. Oh, okay. At the time, right? Uh, they weren't there yet in right. terms of being major desktop operating, right, having operating systems. And as much as it's funny to laugh at, like, "Has the years Linux on the desktop?" No, they weren't there yet. But uh, in a lot of ways, the environment just was not. It could not support that kind of development because of these kind of weird sweetheart deals that Microsoft yeah. had with the manufacturers. Yeah. B was the example that sort of proved it. And, and B, exactly. B yeah. never quite got there in terms of having the whole software stack there, but they had mm. enough. They had enough. I mean, it was a real, they, they deal. were compelling. They could right. have, they certainly had a good run. I mean, they were way better than windows 3.1 or whatever. Oh, definitely. And they yeah. were way more modern than Mac OS or not Mac OS. 10, Mac, oh, Mac OS. Classic. Mac OS. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, it certainly would have been compelling enough where if Microsoft didn't have those deals, some number of Dell and compact PCs would have been sold with BOS. Yeah, I would have bought one. Who knows what percentage, you know, three, yeah. four, five, but that's how something starts. Right. So what does Microsoft do? I think they need a vision. I think they need to figure out what the hell they're going to do. Um, honestly, I think that their efforts in uh, consumer electronics, mostly led by the Xbox, combined with this weird thing that they're weirdly good at doing backend stuff that people don't appreciate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've, you know, full disclosure, you've been sponsored by the, uh, you know, Windows Azure guys, but they do a good job. Azure. Uh, Isn't it Azure? Azure. Azure, I say, I said Azure and then people wrote in and said I mispronounced it and I couldn't believe Um, it because I never mispronounce anything. I live in French Canada. It's fine. I, I can get away with this shit. Um, Xbox Live is good. They have a good. I don't know when. When did the first Xbox ship? Ten years ago. Yeah, no, the first that? one was like ninety nine, I think, or two thousand. Yeah, so they've got like a long history of integrating consumer hardware with uh, back end services. Yeah. And well, I think, and, I think and that's where the world is these days. Yeah, and uh, I think I, I think, think their it, infatuation with Windows is. Sort of led by Balmer, but it's kind of leading them down the, you know, it's almost been putting them out to pasture for a little bit. They need, to, they need to focus on things that have two attributes that, A, that they can be the best in the world at. Yes. And B, that have a bigger future ahead of them than their present is. And that's the problem with Windows. The problem with Windows is that its future is smaller than the present. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 
And where, calling every new thing that you do Windows is not helping. Right. But anything that doesn't qualify for both of those things, they should scratch off the list. Yes. And I totally agree. So maybe, you know, and again, it could be like an enemy of my enemy is my friend, where if they're focused on Google as their primary enemy, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, integrated services and stuff like that and companies that just run the back end stuff on Google. Working with Apple, or at least not even maybe even working with Apple, but working with just assume that there's going to be institutions that have an awful lot of iPhone users, but making back end services that work great for iPhone users, there's money to be yeah. made there. I still don't, I don't think that they're at war with Apple in any way. I don't think so either, but I feel like buying Nokia confuses that. No, I don't know. No more than like Apple's iPhones or Office and Microsoft's Nokia phones right. or iWork. They, I, I would say this. I think that they should set themselves up. And I think for the near future, they should set themselves up for how can they profit in a world where an awful lot of people at the high end of the market, whether they're consumers or whether they're enterprise users who are using iPhones and iPads are also using Microsoft products that make right. money. Right. Don't set right. them up. The thing that I think that Balmer might have blinded them to is a world where they somehow want to stop the iPhone and iPad and b defeat them. And, oh, it's too late for that. You know, they almost need like that Steve yeah. Jobs moment where, you know, in 97, when when Gates was yep. on screen at Macworld and said, look, we have to get past the idea that Microsoft has to lose for Apple to win. Right. I think Microsoft needs the exact opposite. Right. We have to get past the idea that Apple needs to lose for Microsoft. To exactly. Win. Well, I don't. I don't know. You you seem f fixated on this idea that Microsoft wants to fight Apple, and I'm not sure that that's well. Then why else are they making things like the Surface and and because that's where the money is Nokia. these days. I don't think it's to yeah, fight Microsoft. I don't think it's to fight Apple. Yeah. I I think it's. Uh, I mean, you you showed it yourself where Apple makes more money, like more revenue. Despite selling hardware, then Microsoft and Google do to spelling like right. selling software, and I think or they have higher margins. Sorry, that's what I mean. Higher, higher margins, right. right? Which is the remarkable thing, right. right? Which is weird and it's crazy. And I think I don't think Microsoft necessarily wants to field a phone that will destroy the iPhone. I think they want a portion of the market. Right. Well, I don't know if they. I don't know that they can get that though. I think they kind of need to plan for failing in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I I honestly think that they should be teaming up with Apple as much as possible to be, be, be for the pri providing backend services. Yahoo should be yeah. doing the same. Because I think there's a lot of that where you know, and I really do mean it. I, and I know you know, I, I'm not trying to say that Apple is you know a touchy feely uh, hippie company that just wants to get along with everybody else. But I still think that I still think back to the original iPhone introduction when Steve Jobs had Eric Schmidt from Google yeah. come up on stage and Yahoo come on stage. That Apple didn't want to do all the online stuff. Well, you know, let what? us just let, make let, the cool OS, and we'll we'll you know we'll work with you. I think there's a lot of opportunities there for Microsoft. I agree. Let, it may, let, it may let's, be boring. Let's. But okay, I've got I've got a good way to wrap this up because I'm kind of tired of talking to you. Um, <laughs> at all things D, uh, when Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were on stage with uh, uh, whatever Kara and uh, what's his name Walt, yeah, what's his name Walt? That's that's great. Um, yeah, what's his name? Walt? Yeah, that'll that'll get me a good review sometime in the future. Um, each was asked what they envied about the other company, 
uh, Bill Gates said he envied Jobs' sense of taste. And Steve said he envied Microsoft's ability to partner with other people. And that if he had had that ability earlier on in his life, uh, things would have been different. And then he, he thinks he would have forged a stronger company. And I think that's, as I think that's a very astute analysis of the strengths of the, of the companies. I think Microsoft is great at making partners. I think historically they've kind of shifted them every now and then when they've needed to, which is not great. But I think, Apple is a little bit timid about it. But I do think if both of these companies and, and Yahoo and a couple of other companies are going to continue to succeed and grow, they're going to need to sort of swallow a bit of that pride and start making partnerships. I curse you because that is a good way to wrap up the show. I'll also say this. I will say this. I'll add on that I also think that Google today is more like the Microsoft of old in terms of seemingly having a mindset of we can do it all ourselves. Yeah, but now you're just, wa now you're just watering down my awesome ending. No, well, all right, well, <laughs> no, 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 I'm out. kidding, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, Google I agree. Google is least, less, uh, less interested in partnerships with any other company than anybody else in tech today. I agree. Even Apple, which is weird. Right. I mean, Apple's got, right. I mean, wait, just let, let me let me scroll over to this corner of my thing. I've got a, I got a LinkedIn. i got a LinkedIn okay. logo and my Mac OS X. Yeah. What the hell is happening with that? I don't know. Exactly. Right. But they have Facebook built in, yeah, Twitter Facebook, built in. Twitter and, and LinkedIn. Yeah. Right. And I know that I've when I bring this up on Daring Fireball, people say, well, you don't need those things built into Android because Android has the sharing features between apps so that when you install the Facebook app, you know, it has... That's not untrue. iOS needs to It's get not better. untrue that yeah. they have... Right. They have that, but it doesn't defeat the point that when you just write out of the factory, your yes. iPhone has a Twitter logo and a LinkedIn logo and a Facebook logo, right. and it just says something about Apple's relationship with those companies that, you know, yeah, yeah. Google does not... For, first money, well... Ideally, they, ideally, I don't, I don't know Somewhere how to, know how to frame this. I, I want to say first among equals just because it's a George Orwell quote. But I would prefer if Apple was more open with sharing services. Oh, totally. I think I honestly think they would prefer it too. I just don't think they've figured out how to do it yet. Right. So. Yeah. But anyway, somewhere in there is an opportunity for Microsoft. A big opportunity. Yeah. yeah. All right. Guy English, thank you for being here. John Gruber told you it was going to be a told you it was going to be a short show. <laughs>